Welcome to Hooplecast. I am your host, Matt, and joining me are my newbie co-hosts... Carol. Matt. Mel. And we're a bunch of Hoopleheads. And two of us are more Hoopleheads than the others, because they don't know how to read a fucking calendar. It's not true. It's true. What's a calendar? We're Hoopleheads. What's a calendar? Exactly. Yeah, you guys made a lot liar out of me. Uh, I told all the listeners out there, all 12 of them, that <laughs> we were going to record the last three like in back-to-back weeks, and now it's back to our bi-weekly schedule due to, uh, due to Matt and Mel. <laughs> Matt, Matt is actually Googling calendar. How to calendar. <laughs> I'm resistant to change. <laughs> How do I calendar? <laughs> we have a guest today. Please welcome to the podcast, Andrew. Hey guys! Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I'll tell the folks at home where you're skyping from. I am from Charlottesville, Virginia, which is usually a lovely place, but today and the past couple of days, it's been like other places on on the Mid Atlantic, um, unbearably hot. Yeah. But uh, I'm inside with the shades drawn and the AC pumping, so I can't complain. I've just got a fan on me. It's how hot is it there today? Today, I think it got up to 98. Okay. We're about um, the same in New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. It's been absolutely dreadful this past week. It has. And no relief in sight, at least here. It's supposed to be up near triple digits all, all week. So. Oh, jeez. Okay. <laughs> I have been trying to avoid looking at the the weather. Uh, sorry. Yeah, it, Spoiler it's, alert. That's okay. It's It's been nasty all up and down the Atlantic coast. Andrew, are you a Deadwood fan from way back, or are you a new viewer watching for the first time? I go way, way back. Um, I discovered the show, as probably a lot of people did, um, because I was watching The Sopranos, and I stuck around to watch what came after The Sopranos and, and was instantly hooked in. Um, I'm kind of a, a Western fan from, from way back, so I was smack dab in the demographic, and uh, they got me good. What is it about the show that you like? If you can pinpoint something. Uh, gosh, I mean, the language is just incredible. When I try to sell people on the show, I tell them the first time you watch it, you're probably not going to not going to know what the hell people are talking about. Um, go back and watch it again with the closed captioning on and just appreciate the language. And I also appreciate sort of the nuances of the characters. I mean, when I fell in love with Westerns, it was back in kind of the 80s, mid-80s, I guess, uh, Silverado was a movie that came out, and it was, you know, that was your basic good guys wear white, bad guys wear black kind of thing. Are you being attacked by a jungle cat? <laughs> yeah, our cat is is 17 years old, and she's blind, and she's awful. Oh, oh my uh, God. kitty. I Aww. thought that was a baby. Yeah. <laughs> I no, thought it was don't. a baby, too. <laughs> no. No. Just a cat. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Sorry, I think she'll <laughs> no, she'll scoot right. out of here in a second. No, we're used to um, we're used to cats disrupting the podcast. We have a long history of cats disrupting things. Now oh, you say good. you love now you say you love westerns, but I have to test you. Do you love Briscoe County Junior? Oh boy, <laughs> <laughs> no, I never did get into Briscoe County. Um, I think there may may have been a whole era that I that I missed. Um, I've tried to make up for lost time, but but no, Briscoe County is not not among those that I've found. Get on it. Yeah. Yeah. you have your mark one i need to watch too yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe i will maybe i will <laughs> well gosh is there a briscoe county jr podcast 
There could be. Mm. <laughs> Maybe there might be. I, you know, for some <laughs> reason, Briscoe County Junior seemed like something I thought I had watched, and I have no idea why because I obviously didn't. But I don't know. It's weird. It's funny when that premiered on Fox. Well, at least this is the way the story goes. Fox expected Briscoe to be a hit, and the X Files would tank. And obviously, the reverse happened. And it's been a sad world ever since. So for our Reader's Theater segment today, I've got something involving uh, Sheriff Seth Bullock's, actually, well, I don't know if he was sheriff at the time, let's see here, da, 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 da. yes, he's just running for re-election for Lawrence County Sheriff, and he's running against a man named John Manning, and in the show it's Harry Manning, here it's John Manning, same person, basically. Uh, our reader is Illyrio. Bullock, Sheriff Editorial about running for office, Black Hills Daily Times, November 2nd, 1877. As sheriff of this county and as a private citizen engaged in a large and profitable business, has Seth Bullock used his influence as citizen and official to promote and secure the administration of the laws so as to secure a stable, prosperous, and economical county government? Minor. Most emphatically, yes. As a citizen, he has engaged in legitimate business. He has disregarded no law. He has been temperate in habits. He has countenanced every righteous measure that sought the development of the country and has so deported himself that the esteem of every honest man was won and retained. As an official, he gathered about him a class of men for deputies than which none better live. He assumed office when affairs were in a deplorable condition, before law was introduced or could be enforced, yet in the brief period of seven months he has wrought a security for life and property that, at his inauguration, seemed impossible to obtain. He has rid the country of bunco men, confidence operators, thieves, cutthroats, and criminals generally. In fact, so obnoxious has he rendered himself to the law-breaking class that we would doubt that if the entire horde exiled by his rigid enforcement of law were with us at the present time, he would secure one vote from the lot, while it would not be surprising if some of the number would not set themselves up as rival candidates under some meaningless campaign and within some party line. He has secured the presence of troops and contributed largely from his private purse for the protection of suburban camps against Indian attacks. He has pursued, overtaken, and fought the highwaymen that at one time were so numerous along the roads leading from the hills, but outside of his immediate jurisdiction. He has been instrumental in the capture of no less than eight, Bevins and two pals, Laughing Sam and his pal, and the three captured on Sherman Street and in the wounding of notorious Blackburn and Wall. In fact, his activity has brought a government whose stability and prosperity are, all things considered, remarkable, and which the people do not propose the opposition shall destroy. Now, will our contemporary inform the public whether John Manning, as a private citizen engaged in a large and legitimate business, has used his influence as a citizen to promote and secure the administration of the laws? We have tried to answer your question fairly and fully, and have therefore a right to expect like courtesy in return. In what way has he contributed to the establishment of a stable, prosperous, and economical government? Hear, hear! Wow. wow. <laughs> Did anybody else feel like uh, they were trying to imply that the people running against him were um, set up by the uh, the criminals. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I got that. It's, mm-hmm. It goes through a thing of uh, when he said, um, 
Let's see. First, he says about his rigid law enforcement. You couldn't secure one vote from the from the criminals. While it would not be surprising if some of the number would not set themselves up as rival candidates under some meaningless campaign and within some party line. I mean, it sounds like the implication is that that's what somebody's doing. That's what Manning is? He's a criminal? I don't know. I don't know. But according to this guy, it seemed like he was implying that that's what was happening. Hmm. What I got out of that is that Sheriff Bullock has spent a lot of time uh, battling brigands and stuff out on the highways, and uh-huh. we never get to see that. <laughs> we never get to see the exciting like, drive off the, the highwaymen, uh-huh. you know. Yeah. It's true, we rarely get out of the camp. Uh, mm. This is actually, this episode is the rare instance in which we went to a place other than Deadwood. We were in Sturgis, uh-huh. watching him give a speech for a while, and it's very unusual to, to leave Deadwood. It, yeah, this is like the second time it's happened. There was also well, there was the prologue when uh, the pilot when he was in Montana, but then he left to find Jack McCall and he battled the Indian. But other than that, it's been pretty much set in Deadwood. So yeah, I'm sad that we didn't get that actor again in the third season as somebody else. Mm. Who would he have played? Mm. Uh, White Earp. I was gonna say White Earp. No, he'd be playing one of the theater troupe. The Countess? <laughs> I was waiting for something in that letter to refer to Manning's uh, GI difficulties. Yeah. That were, that were so prominently discussed in the last episode. I have some more that I could say about um, Seth Bullock's encounter with the Blackburn gang, but I should probably hold on to that information for next episode because it could be considered spoilery. Oh, okay. Though everything you know that we read uh, historically could be embellished or changed in in the context of the show, but I don't want to lead you down a certain path in your way of thinking and set up your expectations for something that may or may not happen. So I just wait. You've already done that. They're going to introduce a whole gang next episode. So there's going to be that Twin Peaks character, (laughs) wheel, or else, (laughs) or else the Hat Creek Gang. Yeah, yeah. Well, we know that there's more people coming in. We've got. Woo's 150, we've got um, the soldiers Hawkeye. are getting ready, Hawkeye's group, yeah. There's all kinds of people. Yeah. All Woo's going to have 150 people? Is that what, what Woo said? Mm-hmm. Oh, jeez, oh, I don't remember any of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, great. Ago. <laughs> oh, is the Twin Peaks actor going to be Cousin Jonathan? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Slash Mr. Lee. <laughs> well, I just have to wait and find out. No. <laughs> well, thank you for reading that, Illyrio. You can hear more from him on The Last Word, which is a press gang podcast about the children's series, Press Gang, about kids who run a newspaper when they should be in school doing their homework. <laughs> and you can also hear him on Potential Cast and Redemption Cast, and those are podcasts about Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel, which are the podcasts that started this whole intro cast craze. So thank you, Illyrio. <laughs>
This is episode 35, The Catbird Seat, written by Bernadette McNamara and directed by Greg Feinberg. Original air date, August 20th, 2006. Our old friend Greg Feinberg from the uh, the Twin Peaks show, which is a program I've heard people watch. <laughs> <laughs> program. You heard tell, huh? It's quite a good program. As we discussed at the end of the previous episode, the catbird seat is an expression that means a position of great prominence or advantage. Idiomatic phrase used to describe an enviable position, often in terms of having the upper hand or greater advantage. And the first recorded usage was in 1942 in the short story by James Thurber titled The Catbird Seat. I was really disappointed that it was not literally a catbird seat. Like a literal seat for a mythical creature. <laughs> but catbirds aren't mythical. <laughs> in her prediction, they were. It was some sort of. In my prediction, Carol, they were. In my world. Oh. In Melanie's world. In Melanie's no. world. This is okay. something. Sounds like a Nickelodeon show, Melanie's World. I, I know, I was thinking that. We should definitely have a theme song for that. Mm. Melanie's World. <laughs> Melanie's World. <laughs> There's also a restaurant in Nashville called The Catbird Seat, and that has four and a half stars on Yelp. Oh. Yeah. Out of five? Four and a half out of five, yeah. And we're all going there after the podcast for dinner. Uh, Andrew's paying. Ooh. <laughs> Surprise. Where did, where did you say it was? It's in Nashville. Oh, Nashville. Okay, that's... I actually used to live in Nashville, but I, I'm not, I was not a patron or uh, even aware of this place. So, sure, I'll be my treat. <laughs> I'm glad you said that, because there is no menu except a tasting menu that the chef prepares each day, and it's $115 per person. Oh, God! So, I've totaled up uh, five people at 115 and then we're all going to get a beverage pairing at 65 each. Uh, 20% mandatory gratuity and taxes, which they put the taxes on top of the gratuity, which is very wrong. Andrew, I hope you have $1,200 to buy us all dinner. Uh, something just came up, you guys. I'm going to have to cancel. Oh, man. <laughs> you mean this podcast? Is that what came up? <laughs> yeah. Unless we can convince them that offer us some kind of free gratis situation. That, that's not going to happen. <laughs> it is night. There's a watch at the hardware store. Seth, Saul, Charlie, and Trixie. Also, Harry Manning is atop a horse outside, although he might be asleep. He's waiting for Seth because they're going to ride to Sturgis to campaign. And Cy and Stupid are also watching. Stupid says it's quiet. Oh, poor Stupid. Poor Stupid. She (laughs) lives up to her name. (laughs) Al monologues to Dolly. He wants to know what the fuck is up with that hardware store. He doesn't like being excluded. So he's going to go over there. And as he leaves, he encounters Merrick, who wants to show him the latest edition. I wonder how early he has to get up to start his newspaper. Because he's delivering it at the break of dawn, so he's got to be, you know, pressing it in the middle of the night. I feel like he doesn't sleep. (laughs) I don't know. It is funny to see Al, like, not being able to stand that there's something going on without him. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then when he finally gets over there, it's like, ugh, I came over here for this? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Langriche is taking the air near Shaughnessy's shitbox. Shaughnessy declares there are no rooms to rent, also he's praying, and also fuck yourself. <laughs> Rather a uh, useless scene. Mm-hmm. I guess it's just to show that everybody's all tense and all. I don't know. Yeah, up and about, unable to sleep. Tempers are on edge, even if you're not directly involved. Matt and Mel did a commentary for this episode, and I think they implied that Shaughnessy was masturbating? Is that what you thought he was doing? (laughs) Uh, 
I can't remember. I can't what we remember implied. what we said. Why would we say that? Did it look? Did it because look? because he was pretending to read, but we assume that. Oh. Like you know, I don't know. Anytime somebody's reading, I assume they're masturbating. They're hiding <laughs> a boner under that book. <laughs> Why else would you read? <laughs> yeah. Merrick hopes his article regarding Alma shooting wafts accusations towards Hearst. Al approves of the article. It wafts well. There was a lot of wafting and hovering going on in this episode that word jumped out at me because it was they pronounced it differently than i i say hover but they they were pronouncing it hover and that mm. was caught my ear because they repeated it a couple times just like wafting. hover yeah huh i didn't i didn't hear that yeah i think al said it, it must be his limey accent yeah <laughs> blazanoff has a telegram for al it's a response from hawkeye that he's on his way with 23 men which all takes for a lie because he only sent instructions to hawkeye four hours ago and he goes off on poor, confused Blazanoff about just how horrible Hawkeye is, which Silas hears before quickly retreating to his room. Mel, did you remember who Hawkeye was this time? <laughs> Never. <laughs> I didn't understand why he uh, why he didn't like or why he didn't believe this letter. Because it just the telegraph just got to the guy like the night before or something. He doesn't think he could he could find people and and decide whether they were trustworthy and all of that in that short amount of time. Hmm. I don't, my reaction was, wouldn't it be cool if, you know, these guys came and Hawkeye had picked a great group of people and they really were on the way and just prove out totally wrong. <laughs> um, I may have remembered who Hawkeye was while I was watching the episode, but I don't remember the episode right now. So yeah, all I'm picturing is Alan Aldo. <laughs> Alan Alda. Yeah, from Mesh. <laughs> okay. Why? Oh, Hawkeye. Hawkeye, right. Well, I honestly don't remember what the guy looks like, and if he walked on screen, I would have no idea that that was him. But uh, I remember who he's supposed to be as far as his name goes and stuff. That's finally gotten into my head. Well, here's a picture of him. Oh, thank you. Putting it in our Skype chat. Uh, folks, if you're not on the Facebook group, we're doing a supporting character bracket game. And uh, currently, one of the bouts is between Hawkeye and Farnham's employee who shits himself and then puts his pants under rocks. I don't know who that guy is. He looks like Shaughnessy. I don't, no, wait. I don't is remember, that the right guy? I don't remember Hawkeye looking like this. I don't know who this character is. I thought he is. was a bigger man. I don't even know the Farnham's employee guy. I'm like, who is that? Who are these randos? <laughs> you don't got, remember Mel, the guy who Mel, shit his pants? Mel, do you watch this show? I, uh, <laughs> I have no memory for this kind of stuff. You don't remember the guy who shit his pants and hit it under a rock? I remember that, but I don't remember what he looks like. <laughs> Is he the guy who had Bill, Wild Bill's letter in his pocket and that was the, the pants shitter guy? Yeah, that was the guy, yeah. Yeah, okay. This was like, what, like <laughs> three seasons ago? Yeah, but not for us. I mean, we've been watching it more quickly than I assume that it came out. So? Didn't they have breaks and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, and I would have yeah. remembered it even less. Yeah. It's a sad state of affairs. <laughs> that, it is really depressing. <laughs> My memory, yeah. Uh, yeah, so folks, go on the uh, Facebook group and participate in the character bracket game. Because so far, no one is. No. Well, I would, say, I would say each round... Because got people about... don't remember these characters, guys. Yeah. I, I have put descriptions there and quotes and pictures. Just vote. like. It, should be fun. It, you don't have to overthink it. I, I <laughs> get like Aww. I'm getting like 30 people looking at a post and only 
12 of them voting. It's like, They're like, man, too shit. many words. It's like, I don't know what to, who to pick. Like, it doesn't matter. Just participate. <laughs> I think I, I made have... a remark on the, the Facebook page that I, I love bracket games. So when this thing came about, came along, I was, I was psyched because Deadwood plus bracket games, that's like real deep in my wheelhouse. So, so nice. I'm enjoying it. Nice. Well, Andrew's enjoying it. So there. There you go. Worth it. It's all, it's all that matters. Absolutely. Evie still has expectorate on his face. He questions his character that he hasn't wiped it off hours later. Would he stand stoic still if he were to receive Hearst regurgitations or feces? <laughs> he wipes yeah. the spittle off and he promises that he's going to fuck Hearst up. I can't wait yeah. for this. Yeah, I want to see this showdown. I bet you what's going to happen is that EB's going to be like, he's going to like go for it, and then Hurst is just going to turn around and give him a look, and he's just going to whimper and like, <laughs> you know, slink away back into his closet room. Yeah. Probably. His closet office. <laughs> well, he's not wrong. He is the kind of person you let close because he's so non-threatening. He's so oily. You just don't expect him to have any initiative, so maybe Hurst would let him close and then get shanked. Maybe. As Al crosses the thoroughfare, he comes upon Lingrish and E.B. Harry farts atop his horse and wakes himself. That was hilarious. I was saying fear of Lingrish and E.B. trying to outbow each other. Oh yeah, that was (laughs) when they they were trying to decide who gets to go first outside the uh, building. Yes. I'm sure Langrish was having a good time playing, but I'm not sure E.B. really got the joke. E.B. doesn't get a lot of jokes. No. Yeah, there's a lot that goes over that guy's head. Takes himself much too seriously to get a joke. A writer goes past. It's one of Hearst's men, another Pinkerton agent, presumably. He informs that his men are quartered at Hearst's diggings. He'll keep their presence unknown to the camp. The writer confirms he spotted the tent of the man Hearst wants killed first. Now, unfortunately, I mean, it can be said now that this is what I was spoiled on. Mm -hmm. And so, since I had actually seen the scene um, years ago, I didn't know what was going on other than the fact that he got killed. But I did remember him being intent and so forth, and it is the second to last episode. So, as soon as he said that, I knew they were talking about Ellsworth, unfortunately. Yeah, that's a spoiler you've been sitting on for... A while the, now. <laughs> the entire, the entire uh, series. Yeah. 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 And that's unfortunate. You, yeah, it is. And it's only because you like watch Supernatural and you followed Jim Beaver? That's- yeah, I, I had seen Jim Beaver um, speak one time, and I was very, very impressed. I had seen him speak because I had, um, because I had watched Supernatural, and, and, um, and I was very impressed by him. I started following him, and then somebody posted thing about Deadwood, and I, it was long before we even thought about doing this, so I, uh, I just, I saw it, and, oh, well. He's, a he's on Better Call Saul sometimes, but very rarely. He, like, sells guns, but his character's, like, super nice. <laughs> he's, like, super friendly and accommodating, but he sells these guns legally, <laughs> like, in, like, hotel rooms and stuff, with, like, file numbers, uh, filed off and stuff, and, He's a very interesting character. I want them to use him more. He's in a lot of... He's... I didn't see him, but I know that he was in episodes Mike and Molly, which I don't watch. And 
He's also on uh, some other shows that uh, some of you I know haven't watched. So he's a great actor, from what I've seen. And I, I don't, I haven't listened to all of your podcasts, but I, I'm guessing maybe you referred to Alan Seppenwall's blog at some point, um, who who did Deadwood episode recaps, and uh, Jim Beaver would often provide comments, you know, of on those recaps, and he was just an exquisite writer. And very eloquently, you know, sort of gave behind the scenes, um, sort of, you know, views on, on Deadwood and what was going on, you know, when he found out that his character was being killed off and stuff. And it's, he's just a really interesting guy. Mm. We have someone that, is that where, um, um, oh, who is it? The, na- everybody's name just went right down my head. Um, <laughs> But the, the person who posts the Jim Beaver comments on our Facebook page? Ina. Ina. Is that where she gets them? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah Ina posts okay. the, the actor's comments on, on the group after each episode, but she uh, censors the spoilery parts. Yeah. Has, uh, there's only one episode left, right? There's only one. Yeah. Yeah. And more. I'm, I'm going to bet that he appears in the next one as a, as a corpse, so he didn't actually lose out on any episodes of the series. <laughs> <laughs> He, uh, I haven't read his book that he wrote about, um, he's a playwright and, and, uh, a whole lot of, uh, wrote biographies and stuff. And he also wrote a book about his experience when he lost his wife, uh, which happened during Deadwood. Yeah. Very, very sad. Yeah. He's a wonderful writer, so I'm, I'm going to assume that's a well worth reading. I just have not gotten to it yet. He also appeared on 14 episodes of Justified, which is Timothy Oliphant's I wasn't going to mention that yet. Yeah, he was on Justified. He's quite wonderful on Justified. I just went on to the IMDb just to see how many Deadwood actors appeared on Justified. And also on that show, Garrett Dillahunt, Mm -hmm. W. Earl Brown, Joe Mm -hmm. McCraney, Sean Mm -hmm. Bridgers, Ray McKinnon, Pruitt Taylor Vince, Stephen Tobolowsky, Brent Sexton, Peter Jason, or I'll say by their character names, uh, Jack McCall, Dan Doherty, George Hurst, Johnny... The Reverend Mose, uh, Hugo Jari, Harry Manning, Con Stapleton—they all showed up on Justified. Yeah, a lot of crossover with Sons of Anarchy too. Mm. Uh, Hurst refers to these men encamped as Janissaries. They were an elite infantry unit that formed the Ottoman Sultan's household troops and bodyguards. We covered that previously when Jack. Uh, said that he was taught exercises by a former Odabashi of the Turkish artillery back before he gave uh, Hurst his back massage. So <laughs> it's strange that they keep using this terminology. Someone on the writing staff is really interested in Turkish military. The meeting is to figure out what needs to happen in order for Seth to be recalled from Sturgis. What needs to happen? Any shootings out of the ordinary? Any Hurst-initiated bullshit likely to eventuate in immediate violence? And this is where Al expresses his regret for wanting to come to this meeting. <laughs> it was a pretty tense, tense meeting in there. Everybody was sort of dancing around saying, you know, should Alma be in any immediate danger, then, then Bullock needs to come running. At least that was my take on it. Oh, okay. They just didn't want to say her name, but that's what they all meant. Yeah. That's, that's sort of what I was, yeah, knowing, you know, that his feelings for her were a, poorly kept secret they all sort of knew that's that would that's what would bring him trotting back from Sturgis quickly if anything would 
Well, I think also, I mean, she's she's a linchpin in the entire thing. I mean, she's the owner of major gold mine that's left that hasn't sold. You know, if something happens to her, whatever, it affects the entire camp. So she's she's a big player at this point, or a big pawn, depending on how you look mm-hmm. at it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Claudia announces to Countess that she's leaving. She thinks Jack is cruel and brazen because she, he replaced the one woman with another. Claudia declares she was well-received in Denver. She says of Jack, he misses everything. At the top of the stairs, Richardson is praying for his loved ones. Yeah. Was this the scene where she was in her nightgown? Yes. She looked really cute in this scene. <laughs> she had her hair all, like, curled up and stuff. She yeah, was, was just, like, just, like how kind is, of adorable. I don't I was know. Like, how long does it take to do your hair like that? Especially back then. But uh, who says he's replacing anyone? I thought he was just adding somebody to the troop. You know, he kicked Mary out. She packed her suitcases and left. Yeah. Did we see a scene of him firing somebody? Well, she wasn't really his employee. She was just the woman he was seeing, and he, he was keeping her upstairs in the hotel. Uh, they arrived at the same time. She arrived in the stagecoach ahead of theirs, and then he told her, you know, basically, I'm not going to be with you. She was waiting for them to settle down and so she could paint her sketches, and he just says, get to painting then. Okay. So she packs her bags and leaves. I, I guess it wasn't like I it didn't was understand pretty, any it was of this. pretty it was pretty subtle that it's very subtle it's yeah it's very yeah I read something about Claudia was supposed to be Jack's daughter wow. but she didn't know that he was her father ew that's <laughs> and that's why that's he disgusting. was and that's why he was rejecting her advances and yeah. her jealousy for the women came out of a more of a paternal longing hmm None of that makes a lot of sense to me personally. That yeah. I think it was W. O. Brown who said like that was what the plot was supposed to be. But is that it, how they were playing it? It doesn't seem like a paternal jealousy at all to me. Is that how the actors were told to play? It it doesn't seem like it because he rebuffs her. She without... sleeps with other men to make him jealous. <laughs> right. And why would he why would he not admit that he's her father. Like, what would his motivation for keeping that a secret? What would See, I don't get that. Yeah. It seems like useless intrigue. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it seems like it would just make life a whole lot more complicated. And you know, they're they're theater people, and he's old enough to, you know, I don't know. It, you, I agree with you. It doesn't make a lot of sense, especially if she doesn't know it. Then her jealousy would just be jealousy. Yeah. It. I, doesn't make any sense, but that's what I read. Yeah. So. Well, that may have been like a rejected thing, too. Okay. I would hope so, because I, I don't get that from any of these scenes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't see that either. No. The Countess says, I think you were approached by Millerick. I went on the internet trying to find out what this was. I assumed it was the name of a talent scout or another theatrical company. Couldn't find any anything about it. Oh. And because they said it twice, I assumed it was important. Like it was, it would be something famous at the time. Like, oh yeah, the the Millerick uh, Theatrical Company. They were they were big back then. Uh-huh. I couldn't find anything about it, so I thought it was strange that they put such an emphasis on it. Something that doesn't seem to be real. That is a little weird. Well, it is now morning, and we're at the diggings. Ellsworth is talking to his adorable dog. He wonders if Sophia connects the folks guarding her schoolhouse with danger and if she has flashbacks to when her family was murdered and then he shot through the head. 
No, I wanted you to stop the the recap before then, and then we could just say the episode ended there. (laughs) I didn't realize realize that that's what he was talking about. It's weird that they keep bringing that up this episode. Yeah, they bring it up a lot. Yeah, like they brought it up later, too. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, Because I don't think anybody's talked to her about it. No. And, you know, and... But they're... I think they're all worried right that too. this stuff is, tra- you know, bringing back her trauma. But I don't think anybody's talked to her to find out what she actually remembers or knows or or anything. So they're kind of tiptoeing around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that Ellsworth, when he's talking to his dog, well, we haven't seen him talk to his dog in a really long time. Um, and then he was reviewing like everything that had happened in the entire series. Yeah. And. So it's a nice little send-off to have him talking to his dog. Mm. I think the dogs appeared in every season, but only one episode per season. <laughs> mm-hmm. I thought he appeared a few times in the first season. I only remember him showing up once. No, I think he was he was a few times in the first season. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, I thought he, I thought he yeah. was... Okay, all right. I'm wrong then. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> they don't they don't credit the dog on the IMDb, so I can't see how many episode credits. We are he has. the experts. Shame too. on them. Shame on them. Yeah, we know more about Deadwood than you do. Jeez, man. I'm just gonna hang up my hat now. <laughs> guys, guys, you take over. You hang up that sheriff's hat. <laughs> Surely, there's someone in the internet universe who charts and catalogs every appearance of of animals on television. Oh, I'm sure. Probably. There's probably a database somewhere. When I first saw this scene so many years ago, ten years ago, I guess, it, I was very upset. I did not like seeing Ellsworth killed. He's such he's the nicest character on the show. Did you cry? Didn't cry, but I was very angry and upset. Yeah. So was I. Maybe that's why I forgot most of this episode. I've just been pushing it out of my mind because I'm so upset. That's what it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's my excuse. That's your excuse? And you said on the commentary that you you heard them mention the tent, and you saw the tent, but you didn't think it would happen. Yeah. Did I say that? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't connect it. <laughs> no, I think I said that I... What did I say? When George Hurst says the line about, the, did you see the man I won killed? He's in the tent or something oh, yeah. like that. I, I, of course, now I know what happens. So I'm thinking, God, they, I wish they wouldn't have had that line in there. Because when they see the tent, they're going to expect something bad's going to happen. But it's such a throwaway line that maybe if you don't know what's going to happen, it just kind of, you know, pick up on it. And therefore, it does catch you by surprise. Yeah, I didn't think it was going to be that tent, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I can't remember what I said, though. I can't remember if I realized or or I didn't think that they would kill him. Like, I didn't think they would kill Ellsworth. Like, he, yeah, I, the, t- the timing of it surprised of me. I, I kind of knew with the tent and the whole thing, but I thought maybe they would, you know, cut away from the tent scene and give us some more action and then maybe cut back to the tent at the end. But, but to have him shot right there I was, um, at the was very beginning was kind of, the of abrupt. Yeah. I mean, Deadwood was never really into like episode cliffhangers, you know, but I kind of assumed, I guess that that would be one that could have happened at the end of this episode and would have sort of propelled us into the next. Um, so it took me by surprise when, when it did happen. The, if I remember correctly, the, the, phrase that uh, Hearst uses is the first one I want killed or something to that effect. The first one I want taken out or 
I don't remember what he says. But it has to do with the first one indicating, you know, he's got this long list. And if he's talking about, you know, what had just happened to Ellsworth, you know, assassination, um, pure and simple, um, then that's what he's, apparently all bets are off because he's ready to have people going around just ambushing people and killing them individually. Yeah, you're right. I have the transcript up in it. He, the, the line was, you were shown the tent of the man I want killed first. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a very well-staged scene. Yeah. It's like really heart-rending. Mm-hmm. Especially bringing the dog in. You know, you haven't seen the dog for a while. And and also the fact that if he had stayed with um, with Alma the night before, I mean, they were getting along so well. She was off the stuff. Come on. <laughs> it's like, you know, the Romeo and Juliet thing where you keep saying, just wake up just a little while before. It'll be okay. It's just bad time. Yeah, she never does. She always wakes up too late. Mm. Well, those crazy Although kids. I, I understand in Victorian times they did have her wake up earlier and they lived happily ever after. In a lot of productions. That sounds dumb. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, it's kind of the precursor of the Hollywood ending, I guess. You know, they decided they didn't want to have sad endings, so. Ha. Huh. Yeah. It's breakfast at the gem. Merrick wants an update on how the article wafts and also wonders who Hurst might shoot at next. Al says he doesn't know, but it won't be long till they find out. Then he rants about Hawkeye some more. <laughs> Never misses an opportunity. Yeah, I'm wondering. I don't think they'll get anyone else in the last episode. I hope not. They didn't know about Ellsworth at that point, right? Correct. Yeah. It's kind of dramatic irony. The The audience knew that who he shot at next was already done, and the characters didn't. Normally, I don't like it when the audience is ahead of the characters, because watching them struggle to catch up to the information is, you know, it's not um, dramatic in most cases. Mm. Makes them look dumb, but in this case, it's not going to be very long before they find out. So there's a tension there, which I think is very effective. They'll find out in two scenes. First, <laughs> we go to Sturgis, where Harry and Seth are waiting to make their speeches. Harry regrets farting in front of Martha when he was in their home for breakfast. Apparently, Martha nearly fell over. <laughs> Seth wants him to shut up about that. Also, Hugo is there watching, just being weird. Is that his name, Hugo? We met him before? Hugo Jaris. No, no, that's Steven Tobolowski. He's in the, oh, 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 in the oh, Norway. Not, sorry. Not the random I guy. I thought you the meant window. the other random guy, the army <laughs> dude, that I didn't think I knew his name or that we should know his name. No, he doesn't have a name, but the actor is very familiar, I think, to a lot of people. Is the actor is David Anders. He was in 56 episodes of Alias, played Sark. He was also in Heroes, The Vampire Diaries, Once Upon a Time, and now he's on iZombie, where he plays the the lead baddie. I've watched some of those, and I didn't remember this guy. He looks like he would play a, a decent baddie. I'll have to look at him again. Yeah, look up his IMDb. He's been in a ton of shows. Seth wants to know why the soldiers are bivouacked without a fort to guard or suit to kill. The soldier at the window plays dumb. He's not a general, so how would he know? Seth yells at him, Stop grazing by the window. <laughs> He's there to exercise his franchise, but no one has told them who they're voting for yet. Yeah. I like that word, bivouac. Yeah. <laughs> What's it mean? Just it means... Encamped. Okay. Mm-hmm. Stationed. Stationed, somewhere. yeah. 
it's solely military, right? I don't think I've ever, I've never heard it used at anything you, other you, than military. But. You mean like that nice family's bivouac to the Holiday Inn? You never heard yeah, that? Yeah, never heard that. Yes, I think it implies a temporary state of encampment. Maybe not, but that's that's the connotation mm-hmm. I take from it. Yeah. Here's a quote from Timothy Oliphant. He says, Over the course of every season, I hear at least half a dozen different ways that David's going to end the year. In the first season, he told me that Watson, the guy from the very opening scene in Montana, well, was going to come to Deadwood to try to regain his fortune. He'd see Bullock prospering and doing well, and he'd rather kill Bullock. David said, that's the way I'll end it. You'll have to kill him, you know. It was a fantastic story, but it never happened. I think he had every intention of ending last season with the elections that we're now having in the third season. He just gets carried away. <laughs> it makes more sense that they're, uh, the elections are happening in the third season because now we have Hearst to rig them. Mm. True. I have to ask. Um, so I, I discovered your podcast only recently, and I've I've tried to catch up, but I'm only at that very end of season one now, listening. Um, and there still seems to be some disagreement about whether Tim Elephant is <laughs> a good actor or not. Um, have you guys? <laughs> I love an agreement you. on that, or is there still is there still some uh, dissension in the ranks? I never had a problem. I think he's I think he's fantastic, and this scene is is a great example of why. Just the way he clenches up and calls out those soldiers, and I don't know. I just I just like to watch him. Yeah, I I like Oliphant. I have from the beginning of this. Uh, I liked him in Justified, so. I knew I mean, just yeah, it's a shame that we don't get more range of emotion from that character, but I mean, he does the the emotion of anger very well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, while I the think- segment was called Timothy Oliphant, good actor or bad actor, my my argument was that he had a problem with the dialogue early on. Mm-hmm. He had a problem just saying the Milch's words just didn't seem like they they came out of his mouth right. But he was fine with the face acting and the general, <laughs> the general face and body acting. But he's grown, yeah. he's grown into the part, and he's better with the dialogue now. Well, yeah, Bivouac yeah. rolled right off his tongue. And I liked him the most in season one in the finale when he was going after uh, Alma's father, and that was the podcast where Carol said, "Oh, I didn't think he was a very good actor in that scene." Well, no, I didn't say he wasn't a very good actor. I just didn't like his performance. You didn't like his performance. Yeah, I, I, that particular one, interestingly enough, I wasn't crazy about it. Right, performance. so uh, that's where we disagreed. So it's it's we've been on opposite sides of the Oliphant question, like, since the beginning. Mm-hmm. I think he's okay. been uh, really good in seasons two and three. I think my favorite thing about him is the face acting. Every time he makes a face, I'm like, I just, I don't know, it's just delightful. He's so, so, so good at it. He glares well, he fumes yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> There's discussion about him on uh, the IMDb forums. Oh yeah, which are usually a, a cesspool of comments. Yeah, really. I, uh, but there is a there is a thread about him. Yeah. As I say, I already liked him on Justified. So he's very funny too in mm-hmm. normal everyday life. He's a very yeah. funny, approachable person. Whenever he's on Conan O'Brien, he's hilarious because I think oh, they're yeah. both. I think they're both good friends too. I think they hang out together like in real life. So. <laughs> the 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 banter between the two of them is pretty priceless. <laughs> yeah, have you seen any of his interviews on Conan? I haven't. No, no. I haven't. They're so funny. Every They're single really one funny. is it's gold. Yeah, 
I uh, I heard him on uh, the Nerdist podcast some years ago, and uh, he was really was. Wait a minute, maybe it wasn't the Nerdist podcast. I'm just realizing, might have been the Nerdist writers panel, but uh, he was really good. It was really interesting. A wagon brings in Ellsworth's body. Alma sees him and goes hysterical. Charlie escorts her from the thoroughfare. Hurst smiles and goes back inside. He stares down Jack in the hallway. Jack quickly goes back into his room. What happened in this scene? I don't, I don't understand why Jack was freaking out. I I feel like he's glimpsing Hurst's true nature. It's like he's it's like he's seeing evil. Yeah. And he tries to be friendly, smile, like he got stuck, but he he's looking at this man and this man is just awful and he's it just chills him to the to the bone. He just has this he's just repelled by him. That's the kind of feeling I got too. It's like he it became real to him just how awful this man was. I don't I don't think it was real to him before. My take on it was that he was actually eavesdropping, like purposefully lurking at Hearst's door and then got busted by mm. Hearst. And and then the key Maybe. thing was his sort of alibi, like, oh, I'm just trying to, you know. That could be, it yeah. It wasn't a coincidence that he was standing there. Yeah, that could definitely be. I'd have to look at it again. Charlie brings Alma into the gym. The men get ready. Davy is sent to wire Seth. Al tells Alma to collect herself as Charlie goes for Sophia. Trixie sees Ellsworth's body in the wagon. Sai sees the body as well, grits his teeth, curses Hurst. Even Sai is disgusted in this moment. I think that's because Ellsworth is such a nice guy. Yep. Certain people you just don't uh, hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had down in my notes that uh, this is galvanizing the camp. Yeah. Hurst actually uses that very phrase later. I, kn- in the I know. I was really, I was like, oh, okay, well, yeah. <laughs> It, it was funny because um, I thought so. I I watched this last week when we were supposed to be um, recording, and but I thought I seem to remember after I'd written, "Oh, Ellsworth galvanized the camp," and then later on, it's like, "Hey, you stole my line." <laughs> Years later, I had to look up. Sai uh, refers to Hurst right here as a pinchbeck motherfucker, and I had no idea what pinchbeck was supposed to mean. Um, did anybody else look into that? Mm-mm. Nope, it's all yours. Um, <laughs> apparently, it means like appearing valuable, but actually kind of cheap or or tawdry. Um, maybe it comes from you know the jewelry um, industry or something. But I guess that's what he meant by you know this guy has got all the sort of worldly trappings of wealth on the outside, but inside he's just a broken you know vile person yeah like Seems. cubic zirconia or something mm-hmm. <laughs> very unusual shot of ellsworth in the wagon it's like his pov shot yeah oh yeah yeah that yeah. was really cool it was weird because it was like well he's definitely not alive and yet did you think he was alive still no no yeah. i didn't it was just oh. here we have this pov shot and it was like Okay, are we now into ghosts or you know or what? That's just weird. Oh, that made me. That didn't even make me think like that at all. I didn't think that they were trying to say that. It just was more. That's usually how they would use that shot. Is if somebody was injured or you know whatever. It was just. It was just weird. 
Yeah, they don't normally uh, have strange camera angles on this show. It's pretty straightforward, the filming. This was kind of a departure. I feel like that would be kind of the best way to show people's reactions would be from the body's point of view. Yeah, looking down at the camera. Because they're looking down towards the camera. You can see. So it's almost like, I guess it would make the audience feel almost like they're reacting to them. Maybe it would it would affect you more strongly if they're looking towards you. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I can. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Because if we saw just Alma approaching the body, we would be looking at Ellsworth too. Our yeah. attention would be divided. Instead, our focus is just straight ahead at the sky, almost going. Well, this is strange. What's happening? And then just her face fills the frame, and her shock and horror is that much more uh, apparent. Mm. And I love when she says, what did I do to that poor man? Yeah. Yeah. She must feel, well, I mean, she feels like she got him involved in all sorts of things just by being in his circle and marrying him. But also she probably feels guilty because she made that defiant walk to the bank the episode previous. Mm -hmm. Also, she just, I mean, in a way, she definitely got him killed because, but not, not in a way that's like, that's not what she was setting out to do. She married him and and got involved with this whole Hearst thing, and he already had a thing against Hearst. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's not like it's her fault, but she definitely could see it as having gotten him killed. Right, and the, well, that's why Al immediately says, you didn't shoot him. Yeah. So shut up. But yeah. it's natural that her reaction is, oh my god, what did I do to that guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think she, uh, this might be sort of a callback to when Brom got killed in season one and she said something like I'm paraphrasing but you know surely a wife feels some some part of the fate that befalls her husband or something like that and so this is like the second time she's kind of been wrapped up in you know the untimely demise of her spouse and she's probably feeling like oh no here we go again mm-hmm. sort of feelings yeah Although the first time around, she was saying that in sort of coyly, I think, to, I don't remember exactly, but they were sort of trying to pin it on her, and I don't know, maybe the, maybe the two aren't as connected as I first thought. Well, I mean, she did have a certain amount of guilt about it, but I think it wasn't all that deserved. Cy goes crazy at the Bella Union. He doesn't know what the use is in gussing up these horrors when it's all turning to shit. He even screams at Khan, that fat twat's gallant. Poor Khan. <laughs> Anybody who deals with Psy, it's a poor person. Yeah. He's just such an awful human being. Is Khan still having groin problems? You mean, like, oh. penis problems? <laughs> well, didn't, he, didn't he pull something? Yeah. Yeah, he had a hernia, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. Then he had his constant throb. Yeah. Something caused him to become obsessed with sex and I can't remember what it was now. Was it the groin problem? He had he had sex with Claudia. You know, he's lucky because most men his age have the opposite problem, so I don't know what he's complaining about. <laughs> Sai's very ugly in this scene. Just he, He's been very ugly for a while. Oh, yeah. Ugly in personality Why or is ugly he even physically? around anymore? I mean, he's I'm what I mean is he's he has the right emotion, which is anger toward Hurst. But he takes it out on the wrong people. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. 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 It's kind of funny that even he's angry that Ellsworth is dead. Yeah. 
I guess it's partly that, but it's also partly that the whole thing is turning to shit. Like he built a business here Mm -hmm. and just like Al, it's being threatened by outside forces. Al is dealing with it a lot better than Psy though. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that Psy, you know, back to the thing about the campus galvanizing as a result of this, but I think Psy sees himself as being outside of that. Like everyone else is galvanizing. You know, he's, he's somehow been left out or, or, actively left himself out and whereas yeah, but, Al whereas yeah. Al like when he you know when he when he felt like he didn't get invited to the meeting at the hardware store he he went you know he was that's how he dealt with it he went to the meeting to get himself involved but conversely Sai, when he feels when he feels left out yeah he just lashes out and just becomes even more of a cocksucker than he usually is yeah but Sai, you know has every reason to feel that he's not part of everything because he chose that. I mean, he was the one who went to Hearst and basically said, "Hey, I'm your toady. I'm putting myself on your side." So, so just because you choose that, does that allow you to like complain about it? It was your choice, mm. <laughs> you know. Yeah, you that's, chose that's this true. horrible thing. Now deal with it and <laughs> make it better. I wonder, but he won't because it's not. I wonder if he um, if he hadn't been gut stabbed. If that would have made a difference in how, in how much he stood up to, uh, to Hearst. You think? Because no, he was injured? I don't know. I don't think so. No? I think Sai is one of those people, I mean, it's just my opinion, but I think Sai is one of those people who always thinks he can be, he can outsmart everybody, and that he always had this feeling like, oh yeah, I'll ingratiate myself to Hearst, and, you know, I'll get on his inner circle, and and then I'll get everything I want, and he won't even know, you know, what I'm up to or whatever. He's playing and, games. Yeah, and you know, he's not smart enough for that. He just thinks he is. Trixie goes into the hotel bare-breasted, and Evie <laughs> pretends for the benefit of the Pinkerton men that she's there to pay a call on a John. She knocks at Hearst's door. When he answers, she shoots him in the shoulder but doesn't get to do anything else before he slams the door on her. She bolts. She begs Saul, shoot me, shoot me, please, so Hurst won't do anything worse to anyone else. So Saul takes her to the gem. Trixie is amazing. Badass. <laughs> she is. I love oh, her. I just wish she hadn't missed. <laughs> I know, but I love her in this whole episode. She's just so great. Just, mm-hmm. just like, taking matters into her, her own hands, you know? Like, she's so bad. <laughs> I... I found myself at the, it took me till the end to put it together, but it's like, oh, we're ending the series just like it got started with Trixie shooting a guy. (laughs) Only this, only this time, unfortunately, she missed. And Al calls her loopy cunt again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh At least least he didn't step on her neck. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was more specific this time. They've grown. If you can say that word. He he almost says it tenderly this time. Yeah. I thought. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Think there's a way to say that word that's not that's not awful. <laughs> With affection. He, he, he <laughs> managed to pull it off. Also. Yeah. You might be a loopy cunt, but you're my loopy cunt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I thought it was interesting. Also, she uh, she didn't just go topless. She also, when she got there, she also pulled up her skirts. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, we're going whole hog here. Distraction. 
might as well. <laughs> yeah. But uh, when she shot him, I was like, why are you aiming for that side of his body? His heart's on the other side. But she was. Maybe she panicked the thrust. Yeah, I think she did. Yeah. As, as you say, things have changed. <laughs> She's capable of panicking now. But besides everything else, Trixie is also incredibly selfless. The whole thing of, you know, shoot me because otherwise he's going to destroy everybody in the camp. I mean, that was uh, that was a very selfless way of looking at things. Also, throughout all these scenes, the music is really going. Oh, yeah. Building the tension. It's it's not something that they frequently use, uh, underscore. No. It, w- it was a great scene. Not just because she's an attractive woman and we got to see her topless, but just... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she, she was amazing. She yeah. was. It was so. It was impulsive. It was reckless, but it was still great. She was doing what we've wanted someone to do now for an entire season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If only she hadn't missed. Yeah. So, do we think she's going to be okay? I do. <laughs> uh, yeah i I didn't. I actually didn't get the feeling that Hurst was going to come after her. It was as angry with her as he was with somebody like Alma. Yeah. You know, I almost feel like that story that he told the um, the doctor doctor was like his own little story in his head. That, you know, she shot him because she must have been involved with Ellsworth before. And, you know, she's, I mean, she's a prostitute. There's no... You know, who knows what a woman like that is going to do. And, and you know, she's just not even worth it. Mm. I I wouldn't be surprised if that story in his head is what really is going on. I would hope that she wouldn't be out on the street in his sight anytime soon. But So is that what he was... Um, well, I guess we can talk about that when that scene happens. So do you think that if he saw her in the thoroughfare that he would recognize her? Because he only really got a glimpse of... I doubt it. Certain parts of her. Yeah, I think he his eyes went straight there. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I would think. Back in Sturgis, Seth is giving a speech. Telegram makes its way to the podium, and after he, he reads the sad news, although actually I'm not certain if it, what the telegram actually says. It, does it just say "come back," or does it say Ellsworth's been shot? Come back, because later Al tells him Ellsworth's dead, but. In any case, he gets the telegram and he leaves. Hugo wants to know what has happened because he's only there to handle the votes. What does that that mean, handle the votes? He's asking whether he's... um, Bullock was asking him if he was just there to... um, Rig the election. Rig the election. How is he going to do that? He's going to tell tell the soldier to vote for. Mm -hmm. Just what the soldier was saying before. Hmm. Those soldiers are there to vote in the election however they're told. Okay, so Saul, I mean, Seth is going to lose. <laughs> well, if they can get enough soldiers to... I mean, I they're assume, trying to rig the election. I assume they can, otherwise they wouldn't have done it. Yeah, probably. Seth is saying to Hugo, you mean you don't know what happened in in Deadwood? Are you only here to rig the election? Or do you have a, more knowledge? And yeah. Hugo says, yeah. I'm just the election. So, and he says it forlornly, like, yeah, that's it. Like, I'm not privy to anything else. You wouldn't think those soldiers would be allowed to vote. They don't live there, right? There was a whole thing about you have to be in residence for two weeks, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so. Is that the case, though? I'm pretty sure that's what they. So they've been sitting there for two weeks. 
Yeah. Or they will. <laughs> or they will sit there for two weeks. Right. They've. He had said that was the news that he brought to Hearst, that the soldiers were in place. Okay. So they've been sitting there for... I wish I, I wish I could get could gain like gain all this insight from actually watching the show and not have it, not discussing it later. But I don't know. It's just the way they talk. I think makes me have to piece things together. Well, that's why I put the subtitles on because I can't understand mm. half of what they're saying. Yeah, and even by reading it and by trying to, you know, trying to figure it out, we only watch the episodes once too, and that doesn't help. Mm. We should be watching them like three times. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I wanted to watch it again today, but that did not happen. Yeah, yeah, same with us. Well, there's only one more, so please... <laughs> Maybe that one will at least watch, watch Please one. try to make an effort and watch it twice. We'll watch that one 15 times. Well, that's an exact... Yeah, you can do that. <laughs> Just watch it twice would be... Just overdo it. Overdo it. It would be great. Just a... It would be nice for the sake of the podcast. Well, I mean, it's not, the, it's not like I forget what happened. I'm just... Uh, don't understand what happens. <laughs> but I think you would understand it better if you watched Maybe, it. Maybe, I don't know. Now we I realize this is very late in the podcast to be talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> this should have been spoken about before. And maybe it has, but it's know, been mentioned. Life happens. Whatever. Yeah. I was thinking about I'm still thinking about doing a commentary for the last episode if should if Why not? do it. I haven't done one for Deadwood at all. Do it. Well, one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast is for, for someone who watches the episode, they can then listen to us discuss it, and maybe they'll pick up things that they missed, because this is a show that uh, you will get a surface-level understanding of what's happening, but you may not get all the details, and hopefully we can explain it, break it down. I can tell you, I didn't understand half of what was happening when I watched it for the first time. I enjoyed certain scenes and emotions came through, obviously, but now on my third slash fourth rewatch, I can, I'm, I'm picking up extra things. So it's a very dense show, even, even not taking the language into effect. I mean, there's a lot happening on a lot of different levels, you know, and, and that's a good thing. It is. Yeah. It's yeah. Fun, fun to rewatch. Yeah. You pick up so much more and I'm, Hopefully that, uh, again, that we're providing kind of a service to people who, you know, maybe they can only watch it once, but they can, they have three hours to listen to us <laughs> just talk. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Commuting is, podcasts are a great thing for commuters. Yeah. Or in my case, when I'm just at work at my computer, I always have my earbuds in listening to something. Can't watch anything watching my computer screen, but I can listen to things. I listen, um... On my way to work every morning. To all sorts of different things. He's good. EB runs into the gem and proclaims Hurst is dead. At his hands. Well, sort of. He's <laughs> a <Yeah>. jerk. <laughs> Sorry. Just, He's dead. I killed him. Well, I didn't k- kill him, exactly. <laughs> Trixie. Trix- yeah, Trixie shot him, but, you know, maybe, uh, maybe he's not, maybe dead. Maybe yeah. he's not dead. <laughs> <laughs> This gets EB off the hook for his uh, his declaration earlier that he was going to fuck Hurst up. Now he doesn't have to because somebody else took care of it for him. But he'll take the credit. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Unless you unless Hurst asks him, in which case he didn't do anything. Right. <laughs> uh, poor EB. He just wants to belong. Saul brings Trixie into the gem through the back entrance. And Charlie brings Sophia in through the front entrance, carries her upstairs. Jewel has made them breakfast. <laughs> Dan offers to take it up, and Jewel says, No, you won't. That's my job. 
<laughs> them carrying her up was so cute. Yeah. Yeah, that was the best. I'll reiterate that one of my favorite things about the show is how it goes between tense and sad and hilarious mm-hmm. in like the span of a minute. Mm-hmm. Like even the tense scene of Alma being brought in by Charlie and weeping and saying, what did I do that poor man? And it's just dramatic and awful and waiting. And then Jewel, all of a sudden, she just has this line, I'll make a breakfast. <laughs> and it's like, how do they do that? In- interject this comedy just so effortlessly. It's great. My favorite part was when they were like, she was too slow going up the stairs. Then they like helped her up and she's like, wee, I'm flying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad they spent time on Jewel and that she wasn't a throwaway. Because when she first showed up at the very beginning of the series, you know, I just kind of assumed that she would be a throwaway character. Um, and she so has not been. <laughs> oh, except for except for that scene where she used the N-word. That uh, threw me off so much. I was like, yeah. ah! Ah! Yeah. <laughs> that, I thought, was... I mean, it's accurate. I, she, I'm right. I was going to say, I really appreciate, that's the thing, I really appreciate realism in this kind of stuff, where, especially where they surprise you with the fact that, yeah, that's, that's normal. And, uh, yeah. and just because you like somebody doesn't mean that they're going to necessarily say what you'd like to hear them say all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. We all have relatives like that. Mm. <laughs> I mean, and she probably figured that just because she's poor and possibly literate and and handicapped and works in a whorehouse, that she's still better just by virtue of being born. She's better than a black person. Mm -hmm. This is true. So when she says that, I it makes me cringe because I hate characters. I like doing things that I don't like, Mm -hmm. but it's not unusual. Nope. Just difficult to hear. Especially in this show. Yeah. Yeah. I read something about if there had been a fourth season, she would have a plot line where she ran a restaurant. Oh. Just a Mm. specifically breakfast restaurant. Very simply (laughs) ran a restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) Unless she hired somebody to just carry her around everywhere. One of my very favorite moments from the whole series was the end of season one where she and Doc are dancing Mm-hmm. She says, yes. "She says, say I'm as nimble as a forest creature, and I forget the back and forth, but she was being very kind to him and he to her, and it was just one of those really mm-hmm. touching Deadwood moments where you, like you said, you wonder how David Milch can write this like incredibly gruesome and, and violent stuff and then just tug at your heart like that on the next, the very next scene. I think a lot of that shows that do that um, are really... They're hitting a reality, you know, because life is just always full of that, you know, discordant sort of things. And, you know, it's not all one thing or another. You know, we're always laughing at stuff at the worst of times. And uh, and people are acting differently than we expect. I, so I, I, I feel like it's, it's hitting truth. I couldn't agree with you more. That's always my favorite types of... Uh, stories or TV or whatever where, you know, they don't shy away from talking about the dark stuff as well as the funny stuff. You know, they mix it up. And you're mm-hmm. right, it does feel more true. To me, anyways. Yeah. yeah. There's nothing I hate more than fake, fake feeling storylines or, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's like, why bother? <laughs> <laughs> 
upstairs in Al's office. Sophia cries as Alma holds her. The men come in, but they just stand silently watching. And I really like this because these are men of action, especially Al. He always has a plan. He always has something to say or do. But he just sees this poor sobbing child and just can't really do anything. He's just sort of frozen. It's very sad. And, you know, think about it. Both she and Alma, this is their second family that they've lost. Mm -hmm. Both of them. Even though Brom was no great prize. <laughs> what are you talking about, Carol? <laughs> I don't he, know, Will. He wasn't that I mean, bad. But he was just a bit naive. Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, he was, he was a jerk. He, was the fun he, was he the didn't deserve to one. die. He was the functional one in their relationship at the time. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> yeah. She should have been the functional one. It was just... Yeah. yeah. She was just whacked out of her gourd. Well, <laughs> she was... I would say she was depressed. <laughs> To say the least, being married to the to him to the village idiot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who thought he was? You know, he was brilliant, and she was just a little woman. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, the two of them are sitting there clinging to each other, and they this is the second their second family they've lost. Mm -hmm. Each one of them. At the school, Martha, Joni, and Jane discuss why Sophia was escorted to the gem. Jane wants to go to find out, but then she looks at the children and decides to stay. Yeah. Doc Cochran is removing the bullet from Hurst's shoulder. Hurst denies he ever meant Ellsworth harm. He imagines Trixie, like so many, believes him to be the author of events when he's just, just so fucking innocent. Oh, yeah. Poor guy. I don't, this was basically an admission by him, and I don't even know why he did that. He didn't admit like, anything. Obviously, it looked like he felt. Like, like he needed, he felt like he needed to explain himself to the doc for some reason. Either that, or he was kind of like slyly bragging about it. Like, I don't know. What? I don't know. I guess I didn't really understand his motive, or didn't know what it was for sure. Um, it felt like a denial to me. Yeah, it felt like a denial to me. Like he was making, like, like he, he was. was or deflecting blame, like he was blaming yeah. everyone else for what was happening yeah. and putting yeah. himself in the role of victim. Yeah, and for some reason, I guess because he would dock is um, kind of a uh, what, what, what do you call? It? Um, he's not involved in all of this. He's he's a respectable kind of a guy, as far as Hearst knows. He's you know he's not involved in all the crazy stuff that's been going on around here. And so, if he's going to make his case of being this innocent, put-upon victim of circumstance, Doc is the one to do it to. Not sure why he cares, but I guess everybody likes to be thought of as the good guy. Yeah. That's that's what baffled me, I guess. I was like, why does he even care to explain this? It's probably like, loneliness. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you, Mel, only because I mean, normally I would say, well, you know, uh, everybody likes to be thought of as a good guy, but it confused me because it seems like he wants certain people to know. Yeah. You know, he wants Al to know. He, he wants, wants people to be scared. Right, exactly. So he yeah. wants people to be scared, and yet he's going out of his way to make himself seem like poor put-upon victim to the doc. That's hmm. what... In Mr. Farnham's absurd restaurant, Josiane introduces herself to the troupe. 
Jack comes downstairs and yells at E.B. about the shooting. E.B. offers to move him to the west wing, where the walls are thicker, and then whispers that Hurst was shot. Sadly, not mortally. Curses! Jack says to him, Booth never went you better. I'm guessing he's referring to theater actor John Wilkes Booth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, best brother? known best known for his acting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing else. No. He never did anything else. Hey, there was a whole Booth family, though. He could have yeah. been mentioning any one of yeah. them. And yeah. I don't think John yeah. Wilkes was the most his famous. Bro- his brother was an actor, too, yeah, right? his yeah. brother was yeah. more famous, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the whole family, so... Yeah. yeah but he definitely was... Yeah. There may have been a little bit of uh, irony in that he picked Booth. I, I think he was thinking of John Wilkes Booth when he said that. And he was insulting E.B. while pretending to compliment him. Because mm-hmm. E.B. took us as a compliment, but that's because <laughs> E.B.'s not very bright. <laughs> yeah. Richardson brings Jewel a basket of food from Aunt Lou. We also learn that Jewel's surname is Caulfield. She thinks. Yeah, that was interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, this was great. <laughs> we also learned Aunt... Did we know Aunt Lou's na- yes. whole name before? We yeah, Marshbanks. Okay. Yeah. We did, yeah. Uh, I will also have to amend an earlier statement of mine when I said that she was a, a fictional character. Uh, that's actually not true. She was a real person. It's just that she wasn't connected to George Hurst. Oh, Aunt Lou? Yeah, Aunt Lou. Oh. Lucretia Marchbanks was the first black woman in the Black Hills of South Dakota. Born a slave in Putnam County, Tennessee, Lucretia belonged to a slave owner named Martin Marchbanks. Lucretia's father was half African-American and half white, and the half-brother of Martin Marchbanks. So, in other words, her owner was technically her uncle. Lucretia, the oldest of 11 children, grew up on the Marchbanks plantation where she was trained in cooking and housekeeping. She was given, in quotation marks, to Marchbanks' oldest daughter, who would be her cousin, who she traveled west with prior to the Civil War. After she was freed by the Emancipation Proclamation, Lucretia continued to travel, arriving in Deadwood on June 1st, 1876. She soon found work as the kitchen manager in the Grand Central Hotel. In no time, the hotel, which really wasn't so grand, was better known for the great food served in its restaurant, and Lucretia became known as Aunt Lou in Deadwood Gulch. The Black Hills Daily Times wrote, Her accomplishments as culinary artist are beyond all praise. She rules the house, where she presides with autocratic power by divine right, brooking no cavil or presumptuous interference. The superintendent may be a big man in the mines or the mill, but the moment he sets foot within her realm, he is but a meek and ordinary mortal. Whoa, that's awesome. (laughs) Good for her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they always talk about her cooking in the show. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How awesome it is, so... That could be another reason why Jewel lashed out at her a little bit. Oh, she's jealous. Mm. Yeah, yeah. My restaurant. Restaurant Wars, season four, Deadwood, Restaurant Wars. Oh my god, the next season would have been a restaurant war. (laughs) Yeah, I could see them setting that up with that just that one comment. Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) Jewel comes running into Aunt Lou's restaurant, burying her breasts and shooting all the patrons. (laughs) 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 Oh, please. She opens the oyster bay and serves oysters. (laughs) And then everyone gets sick. I want, I want, if Jewel ha- did have a restaurant, though, like, I would want, like, her to have, like, a couple of employees that are upstairs <laughs> to help speed along service. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just push her around the kitchen. Yeah, push her around the kitchen, too. <laughs> what would be the name of her restaurant? <gasps> Jewel's Gems. Oh. Jewel's. That sounds Jules. like a jewelry store, though. 
It does sound like a jewelry store. Breakfast at Jewel's. About Jewel's Gruel. Jewel's <laughs> Gruel! Oh! oh. oh. <laughs> Just Jewel's. Just Jewel's. Shay Jewel. Shay Jewel. They would say Shay's. Shay's Jewel. <laughs> like the Shay's Ami. <laughs> yeah. Al lays things out. Hurst will not stop. Alma can leave the camp with Sophia and hire guns to protect her interests, but if she wishes to stay, she'll have to sell the Hurst. Yep. Upstairs, Sophia misses Ellsworth already. And I, is this when she strokes Seth's mustache? No, not yet. Oh, it's later. That was hilarious when we were <laughs> when Mel and I were like, oh, she should just she should just like get Seth to rub his mustache on her or whatever. And then we cut back and she's like touching it. Uh, totally called it. Uh, when Al started doing the whole thing about you know analyzing the situation, I kind of felt like Al was back again, like he had gained his footing. You know what I mean? It's not really, because he was kind of giving up on the situation. He was like, oh, nothing can be done. You're going to have to leave. And well, I mean, no, they, I feel like was, there's something that can be done, though. Well, yeah, there's stuff that can be done. It's just that when it comes to um, Alma, you know, she's going to have to make some choices. Hmm. Is what he's saying. And I, I think that's that's pretty true. She's going to have to make some choices. So I just have this image of, in my head of Sophia, like, in a chair, and all the men in the camp are in a queue, and they're all waiting to see her, and they all lean, <laughs> they all kneel down in front of her, and she rubs her face against their beards, and she's Aww. like, mm, nope, next. Not right. <laughs> Not right. <laughs> it's like, it's like Goldilocks and the Three Bears, but it's like three beards. <laughs> <laughs> Goldilocks and the Three No, it's like, it's like 300 beards. <laughs> oh, too scratchy. Too sweaty. This one's just <laughs> right. It is stinky. This one has food that's still stuck in it. Oh. <laughs> and she finds his corpse and she just rubs up against it. This one's just right. <laughs> you took it too far. <laughs> Next episode. Oh, gross. At the school, Jane keeps the children distracted by playing Duck Duck Goose. Or if you're from Minnesota, Duck Duck Gray Duck, because that's what they call it there. You're kidding, really? really? trying to figure out where this game originated if it was uh after this or before this or just where it came from and couldn't find any factual information about the origins of duck duck goose but there's a lot about how in minnesota it's called duck duck gray duck and they claim it's superior it's the superior version (laughs) as in like superior what It's, it's just better than duck duck goose duck duck gray duck Uh uh-huh and it's better because because they grew up with it and it's got that nostalgia to it. Okay. Okay. And everybody knows that gray ducks are better than geese. It's just yeah. that's I mean, the way it goes. Uh-huh. It's just it's just knowledge, <laughs> you know, all around the world like, you know. Yeah, that's universal. Come on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's it's more elaborate than duck duck goose because before you say gray duck, you can add another color like red duck or yellow duck. Oh, uh, wow. That does and- make better and <laughs> then what happens i don't know <laughs> maybe that's why it's so interesting you don't know what happens <laughs> it's a mystery it's a mystery 
Michelle Waters grew up in Rochester before becoming a partnership coordinator at the Chippewa Valley Montessori Charter School in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, where she discovered the kids here are playing the wrong game. Waters is adamant that gray duck is a better game. She likes that it requires imagination to think of different non-gray colors, and there's more strategy involved. Strategy? For instance, the person who is it often will stress the first two letters, keeping the opponent off guard as to whether they're about to say the harmless green duck or the dreaded gray duck. <laughs> okay, I see the difference. strategy. Yes. Uh-huh. The great minds of our time. Yes. She says, it would be cool if more people started playing the game correctly, or at least admit their version is inferior. <laughs> but I bet things will mostly stay the same, and that's okay. We don't need to convert people to know who are right. Oh, good grief. <laughs> you, know, you know, power to them, because then they, there's more of that duck duck uh, gray duck game for them to play so they get to enjoy it and keep it all to themselves snobs (laughs) (laughs) there's also a version called uh daisy picker the daisy picker goes around the outside saying daisy in the dell i don't pick you i do pick you (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay anyway that was a tangent uh seth enters (laughs) the gem and al briefs him Jack wonders if Seth might try to talk Alma into staying in Deadwood so that Seth might have another swing at her. Doc arrives. He says that Hurst hasn't claimed responsibility for Ellsworth, but he'd like to see Alma. And we get more of Charlie Utter feeling very out of out of place in the gem. Do you think Charlie Utter goes on these uh, road agent hunts with Seth? He doesn't seem like the type. No, it's, well, um, hmm. he's, a, he's a backup kind of guy, though. Oh, I would think if he... That's- but Seth couldn't do it alone. He couldn't enforce all this by himself. Yeah, Seems like he, he would need go. more than just Charlie. But we, Charlie's all we've seen. And somebody's got to take care of town. Mm. In season one, Charlie came to Seth's aid after he was attacked by the Indian. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Upstairs in Elle's office, Seth is holding Sophia. This must be where he allows her to stroke his mustache. There was like two scenes like that. Like, there was like... Yeah. He was holding her, and then it cut to something else, and then it cut back, and then she was, like, touching his mustache. Uh (laughs) Just testing it out. That was very cute. Uh Test drive. Test drive of my mustache. (laughs) I had the feeling that when they were, when the three of them were hugging that way, that that probably all of them on some level were thinking, this is the way it should have been. Like, this, this is the family that we should have had, you know, after all the marriages and murders and this and that, like, that little threesome, you know, makes emotional sense to some extent. Maybe that was bad timing, considering Ellsworth had just just kicked the bucket. But maybe, despite that, they were they were thinking, you know, this this is kind of what we're missing out on. I don't know. Yeah, it feels right. But then there's Martha. Yeah, well, they should tell Hearst that Martha shot him. <laughs> just get her out of the picture. <laughs> oh no, poor Martha. But we like Martha. Do you think hers yeah. can't tell blonde women apart? Just like me. <laughs> Just like Matt. <laughs> uh, from what you guys just said, I, I think it would have, if there was a lineup, it would be a pretty racy lineup. <laughs> They'd have for to him to expose to... their breasts yeah. <laughs> and lift their skirts. They would all, they... Martha would never agree to that. They would, just, <laughs> they would all cover their heads and then just expose them. <laughs> all right, which pair did it? <laughs> Al has a message for Alma. Someone has fallen. This gets Alma out of the room where she can sit with Doc and privately converse. 
He theorizes that Sophia's family hid her in a tree trunk, then led their attackers away from her. What do you think the point of the story is? We were trying to figure that out. Maybe the they're just story. trying to wonder how Sophia is going to cope with this happening. Oh, like, seeing death. I, yeah. Yeah, I thought the whole idea was to try and figure out whether Sophia should be allowed to see Ellsworth dead. Yeah, if she's been exposed to death but or not. But she obviously wants to, though. That should be up to her. Like, she, Right. You know, like she wanted, she said, oh, I'm going to get to touch his beard again mm. in a yeah. couple days or whatever it was. Yeah, but that was, and that was after the doc had talked to um, Alma. I think Alma was uh, thinking that might be true too traumatic for her after having seen her parents all killed in such a horrible way and then seeing Ellsworth killed would bring it all back and, and so forth and so on and then the doc was saying that he wondered whether she'd seen them at all and therefore had never gotten a chance to say goodbye and if she didn't let her see Ellsworth now there'd be another situation of her never getting to say goodbye to. Mm. Mm, okay. That's, That's what I took from what was going on there. And I had a third interpretation. Okay. So, and again, this is just my interpretation because I can't remember exactly the sequence of events in the next episode that we're going to watch. But I felt like he was saying, okay, her parents hit her in a tree trunk and then led the attackers away and then they were murdered and she became an orphan rather than hiding her and putting her off to the side and letting her become an orphan again, take her and leave. Leave camp. Leave with her. Oh, I didn't think, yeah, I didn't think that was what was going on. I thought they were talking about um, how, just like earlier when Ellsworth was, you know, debating about uh, how traumatized she was from the whole thing with her parents, and I said, nobody ever asks her what happened. I mean, obviously, they've never asked her what she remembers of that night, because Alma doesn't know, and who else would ask her if not Alma? And so... It seemed like it was a whole thing about whether she should be allowed to go see Ellsworth. Mm. And it would certainly fit with the next part of the episode where she gets to say, oh, I'm going to see Mr. Ellsworth now. Yeah, because tomorrow. before that, yeah, before that, she would ask and they would just deflect the question. As I said, it was just an interpretation. And she does, maybe she does not quite understand, like they may have told her, oh, Ellsworth died, but she may not quite understand what that means, you know. Uh, she seems old enough to, in a world like Deadwood, to understand what death means. Maybe. Yeah. She seemed so happy that she was going to see him, though. Seemed kind of, yeah. see him, you know? Yeah. You'd think she would have been more like, I'm going to get to see him tomorrow. Like, a bit more sad about it. But there is a lot of conversation about, should Alma sell to Hearst and stay in camp? Or should she mm-hmm. keep the ownership of the claim, but leave camp? But all of the men in her life are trying to steer her in a certain direction. And you know, that could be what the doc is trying to do as well. Yeah, and, that's true. So I, I mean, we could end up with, it was basically both that he was trying to steer her in one direction, but she, it made her make a decision about the other one, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess next episode will tell us something. Maybe Jack is, but a shadow of his former self and he was never formidable. Even then, Nonetheless, he offers himself as a decoy of some sort in the campaign against Hearst. He pours a drink for Charlie and says he can fix Charlie's back. Charlie joins the other fellas. Dan teases Charlie about pitching a tent at the stairs. (laughs) Silas snorts. Charlie teases him about sounding like a pig. They all have a good laugh, and they toast. This was cute. It was very cute. Yeah, I I just have 
Charlie, Dan, and Silas bonding. Yes. I like, I like that they're becoming friends. Yeah. Yeah, that was a great scene. For tomorrow we die. Oh. <laughs> Silas didn't have a lot of, uh, a lot of meat in this episode, but he had a couple of really cool, subtle moments, I thought. And I love that actor. He's, uh, Titus Welliver, I think is his name. Yep. Um, he, you guys may have seen this, but there's a video of him. He's a really gifted, um, impressionist. And there's a video that I found a couple of years back of him doing David Milch. And he's doing the, the premise of the bit is that all these other guys are auditioning for the role of Al Swearingen and it's De Niro and, um, Chris Walken and, and, um, Robert Duvall and, and Titus Welliver is doing all these impressions and he just crushes it. He's, he's amazing. I'll see if I can find it and put it on the Facebook page. Hmm. Yep. Please do that. Yeah. Okay. I just saw him and Powers Booth. In uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, right. Yeah, they were both playing baddies. Powers Booth yeah. in particular, he had, his character on that show yeah. was a lot like Cy Tolliver. Yeah, it really was. Yeah, I saw it too. Yeah, I'd seen it back when it was first broadcast. I keep forgetting what all these different things that everybody's in. When Jack gives his toast, he says slancha, which means good health in Gaelic. Al says if Hurst has no shareholders, Jack could have murdered him while he gave Hurst his back massage. Jack refers to shareholders as serpent's teeth, and 10,000 would rise to replace him. Yep. Who do they refer to, I wonder? Who are these people who would replace Hurst? His underlings, I guess? I don't know. Yeah, I guess he has to have, like, general Spirits? managers at each of his his finds or his... his Whoever would inherit and, and take over the company. Hmm. Alma says all right to Sophia. She and Seth will take her to say goodbye to Mr. Ellsworth. Al and Jack agree that Ellsworth being murdered is Hurst encouraging Alma to sell, and there's no point for further violence, so it's okay if she and Sophia leave the gem. Alma thanks Mr. Swearingen again for all he's done for her. Because this is the second episode where he's given her shelter. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Big change from the beginning, from the first season. Yep. There's a lot of dichotomy you know, dichotomous kind of things in this episode from the first season to now. Poor Trixie lost her aim. <laughs> <laughs> She's been out of practice. Right. Yeah. yeah. El tells Seth that Trixie is at Saul's house. There's a passageway between Shaughnessy's shitbox and Saul's house, and Seth is like, okay. El wants Seth to press Alma to sell her claim. But that that's letting him win, though. Maybe he'll go away. Well, I'm sure he would stop bugging them if he had everything he wanted, but... Mm-hmm. But, yeah, do you really want to give those people, types of people, power? Well, if the whole place is going to get burnt down and laid to waste, and they're going to have nothing, including, you know, they're all going to be dead, Yeah. then... It's all... You know. I guess it all depends on whether they want to go down with the ship or no. I mean, Al probably still has money stashed and stuff. He doesn't want to go down. He doesn't want to lose everything. He doesn't want to give it to Hearst, but I don't think he... He's a survivor. I can't imagine that he... You know, if push comes to shove, he's going to commit suicide. By, I feel like he'll figure out a way to beat him, though. I, I am optimistic. Oh, I'm optimistic, too. I certainly hope that, you know, this is going to be a thing where they win, but... Well, you'll have to offer your predictions when we get to the prediction section. I right. want to see Hurst get pounded. 
Speaking of George Hurst, he's in his room talking to who I am calling Newest Turner. <laughs> he ought not, I think his name is actually Mr. Newman. Um, Turner 3.0. Turner 3.0. That's easier to say than Newest Turner. Uh, yeah. He ought not to work in these places. He was not born to crush his own kind. Yeah. Uh, sure. That, that was an interesting phrase. His own kind. I was like, okay, who do you consider your own kind in this? Hmm. Does he mean rich people, or what does he mean? <laughs> or does he, does he mean um, driven people? Yeah. Or, you know. I think he just means other human beings. And he's deflecting again. He's in denial. Yeah. Yes, because this is something he had to do. Because they defied him, and these ridiculous little ants of people. You know, if they keep they doing this. The bigger picture. Yeah, they force him into these these acts. It's really, really sad and annoying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he gave this speech before to Odell. Yes, he did. It brought tears to his eyes. He's like, they just think that I'm this bad guy, but I'm just trying to civilize them. I'm just, Ugh. you know, they're beneath me. And I'm just trying to, you know, help them. And yes, I'm buying up the entire camp, but... They don't deserve it. I deserve this is exactly, it. Like, why don't like, they get it? This is exactly what people do when they do like missionary work to like yep. countries, you mm-hmm. know, and they just think, yep. oh, we gotta we gotta fix these people. They're savages. Mm-hmm. And then they just teach them a new way of life and end up screwing them up. Well, it's also, you know, the whole thing for slavery. That was the argument yep. for slavery and, and for killing a lot of native peoples. Yeah. That's unfortunately common yeah again my theory is that he had odell killed because he felt like he was losing his grasp his grasp on aunt lou mm-hmm. so by oh. killing her son it's like he trapped her yeah because mm-hmm. he wants that human contact like he needs it and that's kind of why he made that sort of confession to the doc he wants that human contact but he he doesn't deserve it size <laughs> so kind of the same way too he hurts. He hurts Joni, drives her away, but then goes to her schoolhouse. Like, what was that about? That was about a guy who is seeking human human contact, but is just so repulsive that mm-hmm. no one wants to be around him. And they don't see yeah. why people don't want to be around them. They don't see it at all. Mm-hmm. And they all they both feel like they're victims. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's their fault that they don't want to hang out with me. <laughs> Can't possibly have anything to do with me. Nobody understands me. Yeah. Yep. There's a show, Carol, I don't know if you've heard of it, called Freaks and Geeks. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this- I, I have heard tell of such a show. <laughs> I, I'm not sure how many episodes it is. Um, <laughs> not very many. Not very many, yeah. yeah. I, I have heard that. But uh, there seems to be like a gap between some of the episodes. Mm-hmm. A long, long gap between some of the episodes. And there's a character on that show named Alan. He's one of the kids. And he's always teasing Sam and Neil and Bill. He always wants to beat them up. But he, like, longs to be part of their group. Yes. And I remember there's this episode where they're going to go to, like, a Star Trek convention. And they invite him to go because they feel sorry for him. And they're extending that, you know, that hand of friendship. And he, like, bikes over to their house and he sees them in costume. Actually, I think 
I want to say Neil is like a dressed as Yoda or something. So maybe it's maybe it's just a comic book convention. But he looks over at them and he's got this like longing look on his face, and then he shakes his head and he's like nerds. Yeah, I think I did see that episode. Okay. Um, and I feel like he's like Cy and and uh, George Hurst. Like they want that human contact, but they're just terrible people. They're just too proud to just accept that they might be one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pride. That's what it is. It's pride. Yeah. Well, yeah. They're and just, you know, people will talk about me if I, you know, people will think I'm not this way, but I, you know. At the same time, they also, you know, they don't understand what human interaction and human contact is. Because on, on the one hand, if anybody tries to be at all real with them, they are insulted that how dare you speak to me as though you're on my level. And. Or how dare you tell me I'm wrong about this, or. Yeah. You know. And so there is no possibility of any kind of human interaction because they, they don't treat anybody like a human being. They just keep pushing it away. You're either a possession or you're an impediment. Yeah. You can't be anything else. So. They don't have equals. <laughs> no. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. There's yeah, you see, of- you see that, sorry, you see that the most with, like, Al and Wu. Like, they're always, like, and I mean, like, the opposite of that. Like, Al is always, like, treating Wu like his equal, equal, even though he, like, looks, you, you know, he sort of looks down upon him, but then when he's talking to him, it looks down, down upon him in front of other people, but when he's talking to him, like, he's, like, you know, shaking his hand and, like, you know, like, looking at him straight Hang in the guy. eye. Hang guy! Hang <laughs> guy! <laughs> you know, like, yeah. It's kind of interesting, the difference in anyway. There's a brief shot of Saul in bed with Trixie. They're not, <laughs> they're not fucking. But this. they probably just were. I like to think that they're just together. Aww. Well, they're dressed, as I recall. Right. Dry or semi, semi-dressed. <laughs> Then the fucking will commence. (laughs) (laughs) They're such a cute couple. Commence with the fucking! Al threatens the whores, you better act impressed by Wu. Yeah. (laughs) They're so bored. (laughs) Al wants Wu to bring his Chinese into camp. Wu is angry that it took ten days for Al to come to this decision. Al is sorry he made Wu wait, but he wants them now, all 150 of them. And he's going to give them guns, assuming they know how to use them. Wu says they are Hang Dai. Al crosses his fingers. Yes, they are Hang Dai. Wu leaves the gem feeling like a big shot. And Al tells the whores they better rouse or rob that drunkard so he can start making some fucking money. Did he cross his fingers? I didn't notice that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. But they're, not like as in like, like, I'm taking it back. No, it's like, yeah, we're, yeah, we're, no, like, sorry, we're, yeah, like yeah. we're like we're this. like this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. I like how the whores at the very end, they did a little rock, paper, scissors to... To decide who who drew the short oh. straw on waking up that guy. Yes. Yeah. Or I thought it was who won because it seemed like the one who won went over. Huh. Maybe so. I assume that they would rather not have bothered with the guy, so they they uh, that was yeah, the losers. Money, losers money is still money me. because they, he said that you could if you couldn't get him doing it, you could uh, rob him. True. So. And just like Duck Duck Goose or Duck Duck Grey Duck, I had to look up rock paper scissors to see when it was invented. It could be as old as 600 BC. Wow, Whoa. that's amazing. Of course, back then it was just rock, rock, and rock. <laughs> I really like the... Uh, the <laughs> Parchment. <laughs> I really like the variant that they played on that 70s show, which was foot, 
nuclear explosion, and cockroach. Foot beats cockroach. Cockroach beats nuclear explosion. Ex- nuclear explosion beats foot. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so that's it. That's the episode. Or did you have more to say about Wu and Al? Uh, no, but I, I doubt we're going to see this this full-on battle of armies. It's going to happen in between episodes, and you'll see the aftermath. That's <laughs> no. No. I don't think it just, so. it, it'll be something that was planned for next season that we'll never get to the see. Carnage. That's, that's what I'm afraid of. Is that it? You know, and I'm. I don't like cliffhangers like that. But I'm afraid that's what's going to happen. Mm. Did they like not? I can't recall that they ever did not tie up like loose ends mm-hmm. at the end of seasons. Mm-hmm. They do. They do. They do on this show. Yes, they do. I have a yeah. feeling that they're not going to this time. Like, Hearst will still be around, which makes me wonder how a movie would work, because the movie, since all the actors are older, would have to take place many years later, and then they'd probably just have to skip over what happened with Hearst, unless it is unless it is resolved in the next episode. Because I don't think Hearst would stay around for, like, a decade in Deadwood. I'll just say as obliquely as I can that I feel like the finale is a pretty good season finale. Mm-hmm. But not a series finale. Yeah, huh. yeah. So it's going to be up to you how you guys want to rate it. If you rate it as a just a regular finale, or if you're expecting it to it be as, a yeah, I'm just going to rate it as its own episode. Mm-hmm. They didn't know yeah, it, it, they didn't know it was going to be a series finale. They they didn't, and I think maybe I've said before that they thought that they had, they were going to be canceled before they ended the the filming of this season. But I want to amend that now and say that I. I think they anticipated another season at this point. So, but I think the show does a pretty good job of wrapping things up on a season season wise in their finales. Mm. Sorry, Andrew, I cut you off. No, that's okay. I was going to agree with you that that the last episode is is a good season finale, but not necessarily a series finale. But I think I read somewhere that Milch at least had an inkling that they might not be back for season four. So that there may have been some hedging going on at this point with him as far as what storylines to tie up and which ones not to. But I, I could be mistaken about that. So for your predictions, Carol predicted that things are going to get worse for our heroes. And Al will sarcastically say that they're in the catbird seat now. It was never said. It was never said. Boo. Obviously, uh, Hearst thinks he's in the catbird seat, though, by his the look, but not by his words. But is he? Now the entire camp is against him. Which he seems to have done on purpose, with the idea, I guess, that then they'll fear him and he'll get what he wants. But He's also shot, (laughs) so that was not good. Yeah, but he's still the closest to thinking he's in in Catbird's seat. There's nobody else that seems to feel like they're in good shape and in, in a superior position. When the wagon was brought in with Ellsworth's body in it, he was very smug, very mm-hmm. satisfied. He felt like he was yeah. in the catbird seat in that moment. But I wonder if he really is. Yeah, I hope not. I don't think so. I but, mean, he's he's got he's got the soldiers over in the other town getting ready to vote. That can also come in if martial law is declared. Um, He's got all these Pinkertons, more Pinkertons coming in, aren't there? He's got, he's got, uh, Ellsworth shot, so people are scared of him. Yeah. 
I think he's brought in all the people he's going to bring in. I thought there were more on the way. Hmm. I, I'm not sure. I think there probably will always be more Pinkertons at the ready for, for whomever can afford to, to hire them. I think that's true, yeah. Matt predicted that Jacqueline Grish is going to round up all the brunettes in camp and enlist them as actresses in his theater, and we won't be able to tell them apart. <laughs> Actually, there was very little about the theater company this episode. Mm, mercifully. I hope you guys are okay with that. Fine by me. Yeah. Mel predicted that this episode will be about Matt A's close personal friend, the catbird, who likes to sit down in a very specific seat. <laughs> Well, we did hear a cat at the very beginning of this episode. That's we true. We do not know whether the cat sat in a seat or not. Did he, Andrew? Can you tell us? Uh, I, I removed her from the premises as quickly as I could, so I can't say where she might have perched after that. She may be sitting in the catbird seat at this very moment. She may be. I can neither confirm nor deny. Matt! Matt! Where is your cat? My cat is on the sofa. Oh, the catbird seat! And he's asleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's all stretched out and he's asleep. That's the cat. Where's the bird part? Uh, uh, oh, he saw a bird earlier today and he wanted to chase it. Did he go? Yeah, was he chattering? Uh, no. Oh. But yeah, the bird is uh, in the form of uh, chicken flavored cat food in his belly. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not Mel's only prediction. She also <gasps> continued to blather, saying that the cat bird <laughs> is a character from a popular children's book, and people are going to cosplay for a cosplay contest. The winner of the contest gets to sit in the golden cat bird seat, which is way up on a hill. I was right for the first part. <laughs> For our miscellaneous prediction, I wanted you guys to predict when, uh, at what point in the episode, the timestamp becomes daytime. Carol predicted 20 minutes into the episode. Matt said 33. Mel said 40 minutes. It was daytime at 13 minutes and 31 seconds. So the closest person is Carol. Carol, it's ah, a point. You threw us off. You said it was like half halfway. You said half takes place at night, half takes place in the uh, in the day. It's all your fault, is what I'm saying. You weren't. You're not going to win the season anyway. You were way behind. Ah, you only have one point. Really? Oh, that is horrible. Carol's winning for sure. Actually, right now, Mel, you have six points, and Carol has four points. No yeah, way. That's that more likely. But it can all swing in the next episode. But we'll get there <sighs> in a second. But we can only get like one point, right? No, the next oh. one will, will be worth a total of three points. Oh, up, up to three. Up to three. Carol, oh. come from second place and take it. Oh, now you're making me nervous. Don't be. Again, stupid segment. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's just uh, let's do our feedback here. Now, we'll have, uh, let's see, Andrew sent in feedback. Very, very lengthy feedback. That's quite all right. It was nice to get something uh, so well constructed and thought out. Um, is there anything, any part of your feedback that you want to uh, I, I mean, I touched on a few things. I I think if I were to go into sort of the broader thematic thoughts, we might be here for another hour plus. So I, I don't want to put you all through that. Um, After I post the episode and I put it in the Facebook group, I'll put your feedback in the comments afterwards so everyone can read them if that's all right. Perfect. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Oh, good. If we post it on the website, that, that'll that be cool. One thing I did, didn't mention that that suit that Saul was wearing was pretty badass. I don't know if anyone noticed that, but it was like a 
I didn't. Blue and green, sort of scotch plaid, heavy wool coat. And I was like, I kind of want to get one of those. <laughs> I did not. That's all. It, it'd probably be very itchy. Mm. Yeah, especially today. Probably not yeah. a good idea. No. It's a winter suit. So I will post your feedback in the Facebook group after the uh, after I post the episode. I'm just kind of skimming through it right now, and there's a lot of really great insights in here. And I just want to pick out one in particular where you said, even Aunt Lou, albeit in absentia, sees her part as providing food and sending it to where it's needed, and Sweet Richardson as the conduit, not only delivering food but bringing people together and praying for his loved ones. Sweet, sweet Richardson. Yeah. Sweet Richardson, but, but again, sweet Aunt Lou, she... She sent the food. She can't go herself. Yeah. But she sends Richardson with the food. You know, that's a really great um, observation because otherwise, why why was Richardson there? With But as you point out, the point of it was that Anne Lou was trying to support the camp in the way that she could. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is one of those episodes to me that, you know, sort of the theme of the show in my mind is, you know, the whole what part of my part is your part rant that, that Bullet goes on. In season one, um, after one of the several funerals that happened, mm-hmm. but just that everyone has a part to play in in the building of of this this camp and this town, um, and this is one of those episodes where everybody, down to down to the most you know kind of minute characters, chip in one way or the other, and the only guy that doesn't really was Sai, and we see how he reacted to to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah, I mean I I could. I could expound on those things, but I think probably best if we just posted and, um, yeah. Shaughnessy was pretty useless. He just read a book and masturbated. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. It's a series about community. Mm -hmm. More so than the show Community. (laughs) Ironically. Okay, so first feedback is from Nutty, and I'll have Andrew read this one. Fuck this show. Fuck it all to hell. Killing Ellsworth isn't okay. I hope Milch knew... The show was done when he wrote that. It seems the citizens of Deadwood all agree, fuck this show and everything. <laughs> Even Sai is upset. Even Sai is upset at Ellsworth being killed, and Sai doesn't like anyone. Trixie had a good idea. Sadly, using a gut gun for a ranged shot isn't the brightest idea she's ever had, though distracting everyone with her tits was pretty sharp. Ellsworth was right. He should have just killed Hearst during that meeting at the beginning of the season. I hope Aunt Lou poisons his oatmeal or something. There's nothing to unify a town like killing the one guy that everyone loves. No one outside of Hearst ever had an issue with Ellsworth. I admit it, I cried, and Sophia made me cry, wanting to touch his beard. Jewel had some great scenes too. I'm sure you guys will talk all about that, and Richardson, and everything else. I just can't anymore. My heart is broken. This is worse than if they had killed off Jane. Fuck this show. <laughs> oh, Nutty, come here for a big hug. Yeah, group hug. <laughs> Mel feels your pain. I do. It sucked. Yeah. I've been dreading this because I knew that he had to die. So I've been dreading this like from the beginning of the, the show. Mm-hmm. I've been looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but you already knew. You've always yeah. hated Ellsworth. No, I love Ellsworth. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize, of course, when I had seen the, you know, the spoiler for it you know, what a big deal it would be in the show. And uh, and then as we all got to like Ellsworth more and more and more, I was just like, no, don't kill him. Don't kill him now. Oh, okay, they didn't. Oh, no, 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 no. You're not going to die now. No. Okay, good. <laughs> so so I've been doing that, you know, like for the entire 
show. I considered naming my cat Ellsworth. Did you? <laughs> yeah. Carol, you were, when you were watching his wedding, you were probably expecting somebody to come out and be like, Hey, Ellsworth! I did know it happened in a tent, so, you know, in the tent, so. Stay away from tents, Ellsworth! Yes! Stay! No, don't go to the camp! Don't go to the camp! But... We have some more feedback. Uh, this one is from Barb, and I will have Matt read this one. What a week this was to view this episode. What would the people of Deadwood have made of the summer of 2016? I don't suppose any of us thinks they'd be terribly surprised, and we're all a bunch of hoopleheads. <laughs> what is this person referring to? <laughs> uh, this person, her name is Barb. She's yeah, read feedback before. Mm-hmm. Barb, I'm sorry. On, this person. On behalf of Matt. I'm sorry. And his rudeness. Um, so rude. Well, if we had recorded last week, this would have been just after that person drove a truck through ah, yeah. like 70 people in Nice. Yeah. Not to mention Orlando, not to mention. Yeah, I guess. All the police shootings, and not to mention. You know. Yeah, it hasn't been a great summer. No. No, there's been a lot of death and destruction this summer, and now we have the conventions. Yay, solutions. All right. No? I, I will okay. con- no. <laughs> uh, not, Matt continues. So I will continue with the context uh, in, uh, established. Mm-hmm. Uh, my heart is broken for Ellsworth, for Sophia and Alma, and for Trixie. Alma's grief may be made up of made up mostly of guilt and remorse, but it's heartfelt and all the same. Ellsworth spent his last moments talking to his dog about Sophia and Alma before the newest Captain Turner shot him. <laughs> last week, Al killed new Captain Turner, and a few days before that, in Deadwood time, Dan killed the original. Hurst had an unending supply of Captain Turners, and their descendants are still with us. <laughs> 9.999 out of 10 loving homes for stray do- doggies. Doges. I almost said doges. <laughs> I almost said dojis. Dowager countesses. Doge. Um, I wonder if Hearst has like a replicating machines for Captain Turner's. <laughs> well, that's kind of what they've been saying all along. How you know, you kill one and just more. You There's pull the lever. More. You pull Cap- the lever, kind of like yeah. a slot machine, and mm. then another one comes out. Captain- He's like the slot machine spits one out. Captain Turner is a many-headed Hydra. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. This is why Al did not want the Pinkertons around at the beginning of season one, when he kept talking about Pinkertons. Yep. Are are these guys Pinkertons? Yep. Okay, I thought they were just personal bodyguards. Who happened to be Pinkertons? (laughs) Hired from the Pinkertons. That's where rich people got their muscle. muscle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Join the Pinkertons. Only people who are named Turner may apply. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's more like... uh, Princess Bride kind of guy, you know. <laughs> uh, what's his name? The pirate. Yeah. Dread Pirate Roberts. Thank you. Uh, audio feedback from Hasso. I will play that now. Hi guys, it's Hasso. Here for some feedback for Series 3, Episode 11. Uh, what a great episode it was. There's a heap that happened, so I'll probably just brush over some of the, the main points. Um Al's irate rants about Hawkeye, proving to confirm the ill-timing of Silas's sneaky peek from behind his door. I bet his chin must have started aching just listening to Al's tirade. Um, EB, what a performance. 
Hours after standing in that one position, he finally comes to a decision. Working through it, he starts off so sad and eloquent, a pitiful scavenger at the whims of the hunters around him. But then he somehow transcends and ends his soliloquy so crudely. This cunt's going to fuck Hurst up. Awesome. At this point, I was thinking, will he be the unlikely hero who bludgeons Hurst to death? Wow. Uh, loving the midnight or early morning gathering of the town's big hitters, and EB, of course. Um, and Al's quips while inviting himself and criticising the lack of refreshments. That was really funny. I could feel the anticipation building and don't know why, but I think they might actually be able to take Hurst on. Is that because of the way I've been conditioned with many other movies? I mean, it was just a meeting to arrange to pull Seth from the speeches on some arranged pretext, right? I don't know. Maybe it was the humour and the macho-ness mixed in with everyone's particular distaste for Hurst. It seems to be giving me some sense of false confidence. Uh, Ellsworth's death. It was shocking and it was unexpected at that moment. Um, I feel that each week in my feedback lately I've been continually saying poor Ellsworth and now this just becomes the ultimate tragedy. So sad. And the sequence of events and reactions following his death are so fluid as well and realistic. Alma, distraught, immediately reaching out for Charlie who was close by and Trixie making a spur-of-the-moment decision to kill Hurst, failing and then being left in a complete state of despair pleading for Sol to shoot her. Things just so quickly spiralled out of control into crisis. Unfortunately, it's another visit to the gem under terrible circumstances for Alma. Oh, and there's something sickening about Jules' excitement for the opportunity to make breakfast for her again. But it's not her fault, of course, because she's um, unaware of Ellsworth's death. Charlie Utter, hanging about on that first step at the gem, with Langriche taking a few attempts at offering him a drink, and then Dan, Silas and Johnny with quick exchanges, goes so smooth, effortlessly and real. It's just so fun having all those likeable characters in the one scene. We had a few patronising and condescending words from Hearst regarding the galvanised culture of the camp. Obviously a bunch of low-life simpletons and it's clear to him that he doesn't fit in. No idea though what's what he's actually going to do at this point and what this actually means. Is he going to pull back or is he going to ramp things up even more? And finally, Big Man Wu with his men waiting to come into camp after getting the instructions from Al. We have that familiar pattern yet again of Al being able to take some control in dire and chaotic circumstances. And there's an interesting theme too of how some of these supporting characters could potentially play pivotal roles in the storyline. Can't believe there's just one episode to go. and can't wait for it. Excellent episode. Got to give it 9.5 out of 10. Impromptu meetings with no refreshments. Thanks, guys. (laughs) So sad. Thank you, Hasso. It does seem unbelievable that there's only one episode left. Mm-hmm. Yep. I understand why now people were getting so upset when... Because I remember when Deadwood wasn't renewed and people were very, very upset. Yeah, I was one of those people. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, I was upset too. Yeah. Now we have some feedback from Will. Yay, Will. Hello, hello, hello. I just finished watching the latest episodes of Deadwood and oh my gosh, they're so good. It was kind of a change from, I guess, the week before, uh, that would have been two episodes, two episodes ago where there's just so much happening. These last two kind of, you know, focus more on fewer plot lines, I guess, and, you know, the attempted shooting of Alma and then Ellsworth dying and I just don't I really I've mentioned this before I just really don't remember anything that's happened since 
the fight with Dan and Captain Turner. So I don't remember Ellsworth being shot. I wonder if I did actually watch the end of Deadwood or if maybe when I was watching, I was distracted by other stuff. I just had episodes playing in the background and wasn't paying full attention. And that's why I don't remember. But yeah, it's really sad. And see Ellsworth go and see other people affected by his death. And I know how often do you see someone flash their titties and their coochie and go shoot someone? That was, that was interesting the way that happened. I wonder what will happen if, um, I can't remember. Hearst will just go batshit crazy and try to kill everybody. But, um, I really like when things really start going down and the way the music kind of, comes more to the forefront. Um, I did, I just happened to look up during the credits and saw Johnny Klimek's name. Uh, he just got nominated for an Emmy for the opening theme of Sense8. It's all related. It's all related. Yeah. So this episode or these last two episodes were like, you know, watching that orgy scene and there's so much going on. And then it starts to, you know, focus on one or two groups as some of the other groups drop out of the scene after they finish their business so i will talk to you later guys gotta go reassure my jew bye (laughs) good luck with your jew Um, (laughs) i'm surprised he hasn't run out of sexual scenarios yet (laughs) will's a very experienced fella (laughs) (laughs) it how could you forget ellsworth being killed I, you must not have watched the end of the show. Well, I, it's a hard. Shit about Ellsworth. He's the only person that does not give a shit about Ellsworth. Mm. <laughs> Will! Maybe it was just too traumatic and he wiped it from his mind. Like Mel did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My mind is just awesome like that. I can just wipe, wipe things away and then continue on my merry way. No, you can't handle this. Forget it. <laughs> Oh, and I nearly forgot, uh, Harold also sent in feedback. Hey, Harold. Mel, we'll have you read this one. I know that I what I'm, I am about to say conflicts with what Matt A. has said on the podcast, but I've read that after the second season, HBO had given approval for seasons three and four, and that season three was written with the idea that it would be the first half of a two-season arc. Oh, was- no. It was only after season three wrapped that HBO decided it would rather have Milch work on a new show. Yeah, I, I don't oh, I don't I don't remember if I what I said exactly. I want to say I probably said something like they had an idea that the show wasn't going to be renewed, but I don't actually think that's true now. There's a lot of conflicting information about how it all went down. And it was okay. so long ago that I don't think people have exactly the right memory of, you know, the events of what happened that led to the cancellation. So, I uh, I will read these different sources, these different reports, and I'll try and find where they overlap. And what the likely, you know, the circumstances were. And we'll talk about that when we do our series wrap-up episode. So. And then he says, I say that because I feel like the decision to have Ellsworth murdered in the penultimate episode, and barely a third of the way through it, doesn't feel like the right timing. Unless there was going to be another season. Normally, when a major character is killed on a TV show, it will happen three or four episodes from the finale, so that there can be an episode to deal with everyone absorbing that information, then an episode or two to deal with the consequences. I think they wanted to set it up so that everything is coming to a boil. Everything that is coming to a boil is heading... Wait. This is just like... Uh, this is an HBO show, though. It's like Game of Thrones, where all the shit goes down in episode 9 out of 10. 
Hmm. Just trying to make sense of the sentence. I'll just read it as it is. I think they wanted to set it up so that everything is coming to a boil, heading into the final se- season, which is not a spoiler for the finale, because I don't really remember too much about it. And you already know that it was not written as a series finale. That is a long sentence. <laughs> <laughs> well, Harold is a lawyer. <laughs> I don't know what Harold. that means. <laughs> I am not sure how Ellsworth's assassin was able to get away in the midst of a busy camp in broad daylight. Yeah, right? It's crazy. How does someone get in and out of a gold mine anyway without going through security? Was there security back then? I don't think so. You can bet this wouldn't happen on one of Hearst's properties. And why doesn't Sheriff Bullock investigate? Shouldn't he be getting eyewitness accounts? What To what purpose? They already know who did it. But he's not even there anyways. I mean, they don't know who the shooter was, but they know who, who orchestrated it. Yeah. So what would be the point? You can tell that Bullock has no political skills. Instead of just walking away from the podium, he should have told the crowd that a murder had occurred, probably because the terrorists thought it was safe for them to kill while he was away. Then he could have congratulated himself on Twitter for predicting this would happen. (laughs) 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 I like the running gag about Jewel being so excited and prideful about serving Alma that she forgot about the gravity of the situation. Do you mean she forgot that she couldn't climb the stairs? <laughs> Gravity. <laughs> nice. I give this 8 out of 10 brazen shootings, Harold. Thank you, Harold. <laughs> thank you, Harold. <laughs> Very good. Uh, thank you for the feedback, everyone. Thank you, Nutty, Barb, Harold, Hasso, and Will. Thank, thank you. you. Well, let's get into the episode ratings. Andrew, why don't you go first? Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm... I'm a Pollyanna about Deadwood. It's very it takes it takes a it's a very rare episode that that I don't love. Um, I mean, out of 36 episodes, there's probably two or three that I could you know give or take. Um, I love this one. Um, I give it nine out of ten uh, pinchbeck motherfuckers. Nice, Carol. You're next. Um, I like this episode. I thought it was a a. Um, I mean, there was a lot happening and. And a lot of preparation. I'm, I'm kind of keeping my fingers crossed at this point that since we've only got one episode left, and I know people were really upset when it didn't get renewed, uh, that we don't have just this big cliffhanger. Um, I'm going to go with uh, nine out of ten bare-breasted would-be assassins. Nice, Matt. Uh, I agree. It was very good. Um, I liked pretty much everything about it except that. Damn theater troupe is still there. So um, they make it lose a point. Um, yeah. <laughs> He's falling to the doom Reaching right now. for my notes. They're <laughs> slightly out of reach. Um, so I'll give it a uh, 9 out of 10 absent cans of peaches. Okay. Mel? Um, from what I remember, this mm. was a good episode. <laughs> <laughs> If my memory serves me right, I enjoyed it. (laughs) (laughs) You were shocked and appalled by parts of it. But I'm still confused by a lot of it, too. Eh, what are you going to do? This is the the show that confuses me. (laughs) It's just a thing that happens. But you still love it. But I still love it. (laughs) So I'm going to give it... uh, You're like, you're intriguing, Deadwood. I want to get to know you. I want to get to know you. (laughs) Hey. <laughs> Show me your titties, Deadwood. Show me your titties. <laughs> um, 
I'm going to give it uh, 9 out of 10 wafts that uh, go the way, just the way you want them to. (laughs) 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 It's the longest, stupidest reading I've ever done. (laughs) I don't think that's true. (laughs) Uh, Anyways. Anyways. um, Talk about backhanded compliment. Yeah. (laughs) I think that was the stupidest. As for me, your humble host, I love this episode so, so much. The murder of Ellsworth is shocking, but something big had to happen to propel the the events of this episode and the next episode. And I just love, I love that the show is about community and we're seeing the various members of the community respond uh, each in their own way. And it's very dramatic and sad and touching and humorous still it's just great it hits all the notes i'm gonna give it 10 out of 10 games of duck duck goose fuck you minnesota it's duck duck goose <laughs> <laughs> it's not duck duck gray duck what, what are you talking about right so good let's do character of the episode everyone's gonna vote for trixie i vote for trixie okay well i guess we can skip ahead to matt and calculate his vote as Vote for Trixie. Uh, what say our guest, Andrew? I don't want to be the one to deny you guys the last chance at unanimity on this. Um, it's not the last. But just chance. to be, just to be, just to be different. Since this is probably my only chance to be on the podcast, I have to give a plug for for Charlie, who is was and forever will be my favorite Deadwood character. Really? Um, he didn't do a lot in this episode, but I loved how he ingratiated himself with the guys at the gym and i don't know i just always love everything charlie's ever done from from his uh from his care for wild bill to to his thing with Joni there for a while to to this episode i i just i think charlie utter is awesome yeah what about um, that the Joni thing with which i don't know they still give each other looks and such ever so often jonathan also loves charlie utter yeah i do too but I don't know if you guys are, are West Wing fans. That's another one of my favorite shows. And, and to me, Charlie is sort of like Toby Ziegler from the West mm-hmm. Wing. He's mm-hmm. yeah. He's kind of gruff and, and, you know, outwardly sort of grouchy, but, but has a heart of gold that shows itself, you know, at, at opportune times. And um, I don't know, that kind of character appeals to me, I guess. Toby's a great character. Yeah. Huh? Carol, who was your character of the episode? Well... There's no no denying that Trixie deserves it and all, but I think I'm actually, I'm going to go with the character that made a huge impression and probably will not be up for it anytime soon again, which is Ellsworth. Mm-hmm. He didn't have much to do, the actor didn't have a lot to do this episode, but it's a cumulative effect of, you know, the effect he's had on the um, on the camp throughout the his time on the show, and uh, and yeah, you can you you know why everybody feels that way about you know about his death, and it's totally believable that everybody would feel that way, and uh, that takes some doing and stuff. So as much as I love Trixie's performance, I'm going to go with Ellsworth. Very good, Mel. I don't want to let Matt down. I kind of feel bad for him. Oh, but he, nobody's so. agreeing with me. <laughs> so I'm gonna vote Trixie just because out of pity. Thanks, Mel. Out of pity. Out of That's pity. the only reason, man. I did like her performance a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
You get my pity vote, Matt. Thanks. <laughs> Trixie and I appreciate it. <laughs> Next time you watch the Hunger Games movies, you can say you saw Katniss Everdeen's mom's breasts. <laughs> she, she, oh, she plays... Oh, okay. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. I was going to be the spoiler and say Ellsworth, but since Carol already took that nomination, uh, I'm going to... I'll say Trixie. Yay. OMG. Because she was pretty fantastic. Yes. 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 And now we move on to quotes, and uh, guest right, say that, Andrew, you get to get the first quote. Oh, uh, wow. Um, I think my favorite was uh, when Jack says about about Bullock, he says, Surely, sir, you leave in the certain knowledge that you are the camp's irreplaceable man. And then Trixie says, he don't need no further encouragement in that way of thinking. That was my first quote. The whole thing. <laughs> yes. Good for you. That was great. Yes. And if I remember, Bullock had a little a little smirk as a result mm-hmm. of that, too, which was a nice touch. A sort of some things never change, kind of. Mm-hmm. Carol, why don't you go next? Assuming you have a backup quote. <laughs> oh, I have a couple. Okay. Um, we may as well stick with opinions of, of uh, Bullock while we're at it. Uh, at the end of the episode, um, Al's comment about him is, Reason ain't his long suit. <laughs> Matt. Do you want to do this one together? Yes. Who who are you? Uh, I'll be Jack. Okay, I'll be Shaughnessy. <laughs> <laughs> no room to let! Only taking the air. Well, go away, I'm at prayer. That's not a lie, as I situate on the common. <laughs> what claim has your piety on my deference? Fuck yourself! Fuck you, sir! <laughs> See, this is why we thought he was masturbating. <laughs> why else would he be like, go away, I'm at prayer! <laughs> yeah. Quote, unquote. <laughs> you know, saying I like you hefty don't mean you couldn't stand to lose a couple fucking pounds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, sir! <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, sir! Good sir! That's pretty much how we sign off the podcast each time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I don't remember who said that. I think this is, uh, EB said, cover those things. Yes. <laughs> My meetings, I provide refreshments. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Any other quotes? For some reason, I liked it when Blazanov came in to, to announce a telegram. He said, please do not strike me. Oh. As if Al was gonna, Al was gonna rear back and punch him in the face or something, which I guess wouldn't be unheard of. Yeah, he's he is the messenger. Feelings are running high. I hate what happened in your home. It's alright. Your wife, good enough to ask me in for breakfast. I'm working on my presentation. That lovely woman putting her hand behind her for support when I feared she might fall to the floor. Would you shut up about it? And then, even if only bri- briefly... <laughs> Fail to acknowledge it had been my wind. <laughs> Seth gives him a look and he stops. <laughs> yes. uh, I just like how dramatic he was about his fart. <laughs> fart jokes are always funny. I mean, there's no getting around that. I know. That whole, the construction of that scene just sort of encapsulates how Deadwood sometimes like makes you work at, what is he talking about? What is he saying? And then only at the yeah. end will it come together. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, I just read this line from Trixie, and I still don't know what this is. Give me your fucking. <laughs> I can't even read it. <laughs> oh, is it the gun one? Poop 
poo butt gun. I'm five years old, guys. <laughs> Give me your fucking poo butt gun. What does that mean? Uh, Is a gun you put up your butt? Like what? Also, <laughs> poo butt. Also, yeah, I don't. Little like bunny poo pellets out of it. What? I also I like it. EB as she's going up the stairs and then down the stairs. My goodness, bare-breasted, my word. Who has commissioned such behavior? Who summons, who summons you with such power to do his will? And, the, and then, did someone interrupt your rendezvous? Did someone else attack him? Cover those things. <laughs> uh, Anyways, yeah, what is a poo butt gun? <laughs> it's, it's the gun that Saul keeps up his butt. I'm gonna look it up. Poo butt gun. <laughs> no, don't do it. Google is going to be mean. Poo butt gun. No, please. How to use a bum gun. Video butt tutorial. Cannon. <laughs> butt cannon. Butt explosion. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of, like, Thailand. You know, that's not what, what? It's, that's not what it says in the closed captioning or the subtitles. What's well, it say? It says in the script. In, this, uh, in the transcript, that's what it says, but the subtitles say, give me your fucking poet butt gun. Poet? Poet butt gun. Well, what's a poet? Neither Saul. makes sense. Poet butt gun. Poet poet hyphen butt gun. That doesn't come up with any results either. No. Hmm. They've made fun of his gun before because it's so small. Yeah. So she's probably saying, well, it's small enough to fit up your anus. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry! I found a link. <laughs> okay, we don't care. We don't want, we don't want to know. <laughs> poems. <laughs> Um, any other quotes? Nope. Alright, I will end with this one from Sophia. I want to feel his beard. I want to feel his beard so I can pray he's saying goodbye to me. Oh, great. Yep. Okay, well, in two weeks we will return with the season finale. The very last episode of Deadwood. <sighs> until the Until the movie, right? Yeah, the theoretical movie. Yeah, I was going to say, have we heard anything new on that? Uh, not lately, no. Mm-mm. No. I try to keep an eye. I, that's how I discovered you guys, actually, because I was surfing through Twitter looking for news of the movie and stumbled upon your uh, your Twitter feed, I guess. Um, but no, I haven't I haven't uh, heard anything lately. Other than, like, W. Earl Brown and those guys still say that it's very much going to happen. Oh, cool. And but, now you got to be a guest on the podcast. Was it as glamorous as you thought it was going to be? <laughs> it was great. It was great. Yeah, thanks for having me. And sorry about the screaming cats and telephone messages. And oh. Oh. Various distractions. Minor, minor distractions. So, yeah, two weeks. Episode 36, Tell Him Something Pretty. Tell Him Something Pretty. That one's hard to predict. Tell Him Something Pretty. Well, you can just tell me what you think's going to happen. Hmm. It's going to be a terrible cliffhanger that's going to leave us all frustrated, but I don't know what specifically. Maybe maybe Seth will be wounded, but we don't know if he's going to survive, and they'll leave it a mystery. Okay, and so you're, you're predicting a cliffhanger. I'm predicting a cliffhanger, and Seth's going get, to get hurt, and we won't know <laughs> what, what... We'll never figure out what happens to him. Okay. Carol, what do you think? Um... I'm tempted to think that somebody, we're going to have another death, and it's going to be, you know, like, you know, last thoughts type of thing, you know, tell him something pretty. Um, that, you know, 
don't know. I'm I'm not overly enthusiastic about that interpretation, but that's eh. you saying someone's gonna die, but someone's gonna die, and it's gonna be like one of the. Hey, hey do you remember? Um, okay, Angel, right? Uh huh. Uh, he's a vampire with a soul. Yeah. yeah, he's a vampire with a soul. But uh, on Angel, when a certain character is dying at the very end of the series, and another character wants to console him, it's. I'm envisioning something like that, where it's like, tell him something pretty that, you know, something that he would like to hear type thing. But it could just be, you know, tell her something pretty to get him to not kill a bunch of people. Who knows? Okay. But that's kind of eh, lame. No, I like it. It's, it's poetic. It's poetical. It's poetical. <laughs> Mel? Um, last so, chance. This is your last <laughs> chance to give an insane prediction. The so, craziest you've ever given. Right. That's the last of our predictions. And you've given some no, it's doozies. No, not going to be the craziest. Oh. It's going to be, so, uh, the food that Aunt Lou sent over was really enjoyable. Like, everybody really liked it. Okay, and <laughs> great meal. <laughs> great meal. And they're telling Jewel, Jewel, you need to go thank Richardson uh, for bringing that over and then pass the message that, you know, Aunt Lou was a great cook. And she's like, I don't know how to say that. And they're just like, tell him something pretty. <laughs> That's my prediction. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I like it. Um, yeah. So nothing about George Hurst or Elma's Claim or... Well, those people don't matter. Trixie shooting Hurst. <laughs> no. Don't. They don't in matter. the grand scheme of things, it's all about Jewel and Richardson and Maya. <laughs> 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 uh, I think... I think uh they won't they won't sell Alma's claim and the, the war will continue we just won't see the end of it. So you're already setting your expectations low. Well, I mean I'm just expecting to be underwhelmed. No, I'm trying to not trying to build myself up to not be frustrated with a cliffhanger should it it's happen. It's going to be the worst episode out of all the episodes and <laughs> it's going to be a line in the, the theater troupe is going to be putting on a play, and that's going to be a line in the play. It's gonna, the mm. whole episode is just going to be a play. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> just, the, just the theater people. Yes, and maybe you'll see like all. We don't even get. To, yeah, we don't even get to see Al and Alma or something, but you won't really hear her say any lines. Yeah. You'll just. They're yeah. barely in the episode. Barely in the episode. It's going to be the worst episode. <laughs> I'm afraid it is going to be a big cliffhanger. And then the herbs come back. Yes! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Yay! And then, uh, ooh, 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 and then Wild Bill, like, rises from the dead <laughs> as a zombie. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yep. Prediction. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. And for our miscellaneous prediction, and this is where you can earn multiple points, and Carol, you may be able to uh, win the season. Oh, you're making me nervous. Yeah. I want you guys to predict the final three characters they are going to be shown on screen, and you get one point per correct guess. And it doesn't matter the order of the characters. So if you said uh, Wyatt Earp, Morgan Earp, and the Countess, you would get, and those were the final three that we saw, you would get three points. doesn't matter what order that they appear in. Everyone understand? Yep. Yes. Okay. Matt, why don't you go first? Uh, give me time to think. Okay. All right. We'll just twiddle our thumbs. Uh, Andrew, do you remember who the final three faces are? I remember the final face, but not 
the other two? It'll be <clears throat> Seth, Saul, and Trixie. Okay. Done. Locked in. Ooh, I'm totally going to look it up right now, though, so I can judge you guys. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Nefarious laughter. Um, who would like to go next? I'll go. Um, okay, I'm going to go with Seth, um, Al, and Hurst. Why would they be in the room together? He didn't say in the room together. Say they were in the same room. Well, you Did you say all... they were in the same room? No, oh, I didn't. the last four people on screen, right? The, the last oh. three, last three people, people on screen. Yes, the last three people you will see on screen doesn't mean that they're all in the room together. Well, I figured they were all in the same shot, at least. Well, oh, I didn't think that. I thought it was your just... assumption. <laughs> Do you want to revise your prediction? No, I'll keep it. Okay. Mel? I'm trying to figure out if they're going to show Ellsworth. I don't know if they will. They seem to be shying away from showing a you dead think, body. You think they'd end the series on a on his <clears> dead body? <throat> no, I don't think so. They kind of shy away from showing dead bodies. Well, they showed his dead body. You think it'll be like a Star Wars thing where it's like they're ghosts? You'll see Wild Wild Bill, William Bullock, and Ellsworth. It'll be <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yes, it'll be Ellsworth on the funeral pile pyre. Oh, burning up, burning up. They're going to close up on his face as his face is being licked by the flames. Yeah, with a wild Bill Force ghost behind him. <laughs> um, but seriously, I'm going to take this seriously because there's points on the line. Mm-hmm. Mm, don't sound so interested, Matt. Mm. <laughs> it's going to be uh, Al Suspense. for sure. Al for sure. Al, okay. It's to be Al. <sighs> Alma and Sophia. Okay. Why not? Fantastic. So as of now, you know who won. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Who wins? wins? Find out in two weeks when we cover episode 36, Tell Him Something Pretty. Oh, I wonder if it has to do with one of the the horrors. Yeah. Tell him something pretty. Anyway, go on. Well, thank you for joining us, Andrew. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me, guy. Thank you. Is this your first podcast? Uh, first appearance on a podcast, yes. Oh, I, I've, cool. Yeah, I've listened to a few. Uh, I mean, I follow a few. Um, but yeah, this is my first time being on board. So thanks for the opportunity. We were thank, glad to have you. you. Yeah, thank you. Sure. I've, I've enjoyed listening to you guys, and I plan on listening to all the podcasts eventually. Uh, <laughs> so you're even when you guys have wrapped it up, there'll be people out there that are still still digging through your back catalog. I hope so. We, I hope we live on in perpetuity. Yes. And if the movies ever do come about, uh, I hope that you guys are back at it. And um, I'd love to still be on your list of potential guests if and when that day comes. We may have to have a lottery. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. By then we'll have like 20 listeners. <laughs> It'll be great. <laughs> we can all fight it out in like a pit. We'll throw them in a pit. Listener death whoever, battle. Yeah, whoever's the last one alive gets to yeah. climb out of the gory mess they left behind and <laughs> podcast with us. <laughs> so, sounds enticing. Um, <laughs> uh, any Yum. any projects or anything you want to plug or promote? Me? Yeah. No, no. I'm no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I haven't asked this question in a while, but uh, if you were to start a podcast, let's say it was. A TV-related podcast. Oh, man. What television show would that be about? Gosh. Uh, man. This is weird because this is totally not my thing at all, but a friend of mine got me turned on to um, 
Flash. Oh yeah. And uh, I watched the first season of Flash on uh, on Netflix and and enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would because sort of comic books and science fictiony stuff is not not my thing. But I did I did enjoy it. Um, I don't watch a whole lot of TV to be honest anymore. So I guess that would be my answer. Okay. Well, very good then. Yeah. Anything else anyone wants to plug or promote? Uh, Twin Peaks podcast. I just did a commentary recently, episode fourteen. Are you guys going to do a podcast? About games? Games. Oh, a, a oh one video of you games. Is about that? Yeah, eventually. Yeah, eventually. Well, <laughs> yeah, we, uh, Matt and I do a podcast together called Matt is Wrong About Games. Eventually, you guys are going to do Defenders podcast again, right? Luke Cage? When does yep. that premiere? Probably in the fall. Oh, I think. oh, September 30th. Okay. And by then, Will and I will have started SpartaCast. Cool. About the Stars series Spartacus. And, uh... And then I guess there's McKinley cast, right? I was going to say. In theory? No, not in theory. McKinley cast exists. It just exists on a very, very slow schedule. Very, very, (laughs) very slow schedule. Well, uh, folks, as always, you can find us at hooplecast.com. That's where I post all the archived episodes, show notes, links to discussion threads. The link will take you to our Facebook group which you can also get to by going fit to facebook.com and searching for Hooplecast. Our Twitter feed is at Hooplecast, where I ret- retweet Deadwood-related things. Send feedback to Hooplecast at gmail.com. Go on to iTunes. Leave a five-star review, especially if you are in the UK iTunes store, because in case you haven't heard, they don't like us. Um, I don't get tired of saying that. Because those guys are jerks. I don't know. They just don't like us. Oh. Um, yeah. Has there been any new hate out there for us? Uh, uh, no, I don't think so. It's been pretty quiet. It's just been the same. Oh, okay, that's. I guess that's good. No, get out there and, and leave a review. That'd be nice. Um, oh, go out on the Facebook group and play that character bracket game. I've posted the first five rounds. Who's gonna win? Elmer the Pussy Sniffer or the Countess? <laughs> it's actually the uh, the bout that's closest in number. Closest in I votes. I do not remember him at all. Just go with your gut. I just remember, I remember the titty licker. The titty licker, yeah. Well, yeah. He's, he's coming up. <laughs> he's gonna get my vote. <laughs> the titty licker's gonna get my vote. It should have been it should have been titty licker or bust. Should have been, <laughs> been the titty licker versus the pussy sniffer. <laughs> yeah, it should have. Sounds like the, the titty licker would have easily beat the pussy sniffer. <laughs> <laughs> my god, that's a sentence. Um <laughs> Yeah, that's I'll, I'll be. You'd say. I'll be posting five more character rounds uh, this week sometime. And uh, yeah, all right. Well, that's it. Uh, Andrew, you want to take us out with a fuck you? <laughs> I'd love to. Uh, well, first of all, I hope you guys enjoy the last episode. Thank and you. And fuck you. Hey, that sounded personal. Yeah. Yes, people are so rude. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Well, well, fuck you as well. <laughs> now that started sounding really personal <laughs> but in a different way and rest in peace Ellsworth yes. the sun is sinking in the west the cattle go down to the stream the rowing settles in her nest it's time for a cowboy to dream purple eyes
in the canyon that's where I long to be with my three good companions just my rifle and me gonna hang my sombrero on the limb of a tree coming home sweetheart darling just my rifle pony and me whippoorwill in the willow sings a sweet melody riding to riding to Amarillo Amarillo just my rifle holding and me no more cow no more cow to be roping to be roping no more stray no more stray will I see round the bend round the bend she'll be waiting she'll be waiting for my rifle, rifle pony and me for my rifle my pony question for you okay when did they know that they weren't being renewed had they already written that had they already done this or oh shit you know what we forgot to read harold's feedback oh let's do that let's do that real fast saved by the bell (laughs) wait a minute that's another show find it here it's because he sent it later because he thought he was going to guess so let me let me grab it here um mel we'll have you read this one everyone forget we we've done everything since feedback so who's this from sorry uh, this feedback is from Harold. Thank you for the feedback, everyone. Thank you, Nutty, Barb, Harold, Hasso, and Will. And folks, through the magic of editing, it'll be like we read that in the feedback section. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> You're like an editing ninja, Matt. Uh, pretty I've got great. whiplash. I may, I may <laughs> have to, I think I do have to give a little introduction to that feedback. Oh, and I nearly forgot, uh, Harold also sent in feedback. <laughs> See? That sentence? It's going to go to the beginning. Beautiful, just beautiful. Of his feedback. Breathtaking. Time is a flat circle. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, um, back to our miscellaneous predictions. And rest in peace, Ellsworth. Yes. Aww. Sniff, sniff. Fuck you, Ellsworth. Wait, that wasn't, that wasn't the pussy sniffer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm crying. As you I'm crying. His corpse. <laughs> You're the corpse sniffer. <laughs> <laughs> can I be? Can I be in that Facebook game, Matt? Can you like <laughs> Mel the corpse sniffer? <laughs> God. <laughs> All right, podcast over. <laughs> you might be a loopy cunt, but you're my loopy cunt. Commence with the fucking. Show me your titties, Deadwood. <laughs> Show me your titties. <laughs>